Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com spoken today. Ready to pop the question and take advantage of 30% off? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds. And they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com to get 30% off. Select lab-grown diamonds. That's BlueNile.com for 30% off lab-grown diamonds. BlueNile.com. Hello, I guess this is where I normally say greetings, patrons of the arts and the lesser Bonaparte's, our Patreon $10 and up month subscribers. This is our first Carlin with our uh, our uh, beloved new co-host, Chris, Christophs Andresens of the Eastern Border, if you guys are just new to this or uh, have heard the other two episodes we've done. Christophs, if you want to introduce yourself. Greetings, bourgeoisie capitalists, come. <laughs> or also, also, also called hi. Um, and about my surname, um, Glenn. Glenn, as this is the Carlin, I will not go shy with this. If you want to say my full name and surname. Chris, you say Kristaps almost correctly, but Andresons mm. is pronounced like and Ray son together in the single word. Andresan. Andresan. Yes. Andresan. Yeah, Kristaps Andresen. Okay. Yeah, and now now stick an S to the end, and you you get it perfectly. That's, that's it. Kristaps Andresen. Yes, I'm getting there. As as you know, uh, pronouncing na- pronouncing names is not my strong suit, so I'll uh I'll I'll get there eventually. No, don't, don't worry. Pronunciation and grammar Nazis will suffer a terrible fate in our gulags. No, as they will, and I'm glad we're do. I, I I'm glad uh, we're doing this one for our first Carlin with you, Chris, because this one is is kind of near and dear to your heart because it involves your home country. Um, oh yeah, it's it's actually uh, it's the story of my people. It's um, it's not well. It's the first historical source about the people in this area. They've been mentioned before. <clears throat> I'm sorry. They they have been mentioned before, and I will talk about this, but. What we're doing today is the first written source about the people, legit written source about the people who lived in this area. Okay, so this is the story of my people. Yeah, really. Uh, we're doing we're doing the Baltic or Northern Crusades. Um, it depends on who you read. Um, I've read both. We'll just call it the Baltic Crusade. Um, for the purposes of the rest of our show here, um, it involves the areas that are now Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, under I guess you could say um, Western European occupation. It was German-led and Pope-approved, mostly but, carried out by Swedish people, by the way. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of a it's a weird hodgepodge of uh, uh, mercenaries and uh, Germans. 
and uh, knightly orders and uh, the Swedish and Catholic, uh, Roman Catholic religion versus uh, Russian Orthodox Christianity. Versus pagan really, beliefs, yeah. Versus um, pagan beliefs. Yeah. What, what I want to mention here is that um, Glenn, um, I just want to explain to our, li- uh, to our listeners that uh, Glenn's going to be doing the Western European part of this mostly and the historical part uh, while um, I have to apologize to you guys, but all of my sources are in Latvian. And as I record the Eastern Border episode today, haven't had the time to translate all this humongous amount of text English. So if I kind of have pauses here or something, I am translating Latvian to English on the go, sometimes from uh, 20s Latvian language, which is hard, and I will be doing the Latvian Baltic part of all of this. I, I have more info about Latvians and Estonians, bit less about Lithuanians, but it overlaps. So just so you know, don't hate us, okay? Um, I'm doing a, a multilingual language thing on the, on the fly here. Yeah, so I will. I will guess. I guess the place to start would be really to discuss what we've talked about before, where the um, the Catholic Church really needed some points on the leaderboard um, because it was, I guess you could say, lagging behind um, both Islam and uh, Eastern Orthodox Christianity were. Sort of, if we took, a, if we looked at the three major religions at the time, Roman Catholicism, Eastern Orthodoxy, and Islam, Western Roman Catholicism is in third place at the beginning of our story. Um, and it wasn't always that way, but they remember a time when they were the big kids on the block, when, you know, the Western Roman Empire was well and ferocious, when the Empire of Charlemagne, uh, you know, reached as far as Iberia almost, and into most of uh, Eastern Europe. And what do we have by around the year 1095? Well, we have Christianity as a whole lagging behind because uh, the Byzantine Eastern Roman Empire pretty much loses all of Anatolia, all of North Africa, and all of the Levant to the Turks. The... um, so we have Islam become moving slowly up, but we also have, and I guess to move into the important part of our world around the time the first crusade is called in 1095 by Pope Urban II, and I love uh, Chris. Um, Anna Anna reminded me that one of our very early episodes, all Doges go to heaven. I vowed I would never again discuss the Crusades, and so I guess I'm going back on my word here. But <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, anyways. The Baltic Crusade is um, quite unlike the other ones, actually. It's also very less known to people, and um, yeah, because it, it, it involved a lot of. An I mean, we part don't of my history, so we don't really hear about much about it so far. It's kind of like if in the West, Chris, I'll say like um, when you hear about say like um, like the, uh, the the Spanish arriving in Mexico or things where the. Um, the northern uh, Baltic Europeans are sort of seen as these kind of primitive, backwards, almost Stone Age people. And then they are conquered by the West, essentially. And um, I'm sure there are two sides to that story, oh, well, though, right? Uh, well, uh, the, the, the second side, which I want to talk about, is that, like I said, the Baltic Crusades are the first real historical source. But we, in here, have been mentioned before by the Roman historian Tacitus. It's not Tacitus. 
Tacitus is a terrible, terrible, terrible wrong pronunciation. It all, C is K. Forever. Always. In classical language, okay? Just, just in case. It's not Tacitus. Forget Tacitus. Tacitus never existed. It's Tacitus. Okay? It, it's, it's a gripe for people like me. Okay? So, um, he writes about us in his book Ger- Germania, uh, chapter XLV, or 45 for uh, people who don't understand Roman numerals. And he writes the following, translated to English. Upon the right of the Swabian Sea, the Aistian nations reside. Ice are bolts in this case. He calls us Aisti or Aisti. And and that's interesting because Aist is uh, the Russian word for uh, stork, really, the the bird. So, upon the right of the Swabian Sea, the Aistian nations reside, who use the same customs and attire with the Swabians. Their language more resembles that of Britain. They worship the mother of gods. Uh, by the way, that part is bullshit, because we really didn't have mother of gods. We had the father of gods, Perkons, or Thunder. You might know him as Thor, because uh, Latvian traditional religion is very close to the Scandinavian one even though we are weirdly unrelated to Scandinavians whatsoever. Because, for example, Lithuanian and Lithuanian and Baltic languages in general, Lithuanian is a bit older and a bit closer, but the Baltic languages are the closest languages in the Euro- Indo-European language group to the original Sanskrit, by the way, which is weird. So we're sort of unique here. Um, they worship the mother of gods as the characteristic of their natural superstition. They wear the images of wild boars. This alone serves them for arms. This is the safeguard of all, and by this every worshipper of the goddess is secured even amidst his foes. Rare amongst them is the use of weapons of iron, but frequent that of clubs. In producing of grain and the other fruits of the earth, they labor with more acidity and patience that is suitable to the usual laziness of the Germans. Take that, Germans. Nay, they even search the deep, and of all the rest, they are the only people who gather amber. They call it glesum. Um, we actually call it Zintars. I don't know Lithuanian word for this, but fine by me. Maybe it's an older version of Latvian, which wasn't actually Latvian at that point because of the tribes, but whatever. <clears throat> they call it Glesum and find it amongst the shallows and upon the very shore. But according to the ordinary incuriosity and ignorance of barbarians, barbarians, <clears throat> they have neither learned nor do they inquire what is its nature or from what cause it is produced. In truth, it lay long neglected alongst the other gross discharges of the sea, till from our luxury it gained a name and value. To themselves it is of no use. They gather it rough, they expose it in pieces, coarse and unpolished, and for it receive a price with wonder. Uh, That is the first ever at all of all times mention of the people who live here. It's mostly connected with the East Prussians who are like the lost tribe. They died out, their language died out. But Ists or Balts are East Prussians, Lithuanians, and Latvians. So uh, Tacitus said this about us. And then there's nothing, literally nothing uh, about us until like these crusades. There is also Cassiodorus, a historian called Cassiodorus, who published, uh, published his book uh, Variae in 537. And it contains a letter from this Cassiodorus, in the name of Theodoric the Great, addressed to the Balts. But that's also kind of weird, because we don't know to whom, because there are many, many tribes of us. 
And the letter says, <clears throat> It is gratifying to us to know that you have heard of our fame and have sent ambassadors who have passed through so many strange nations to seek our friendship. We have received the amber which you have sent to us. You say that you gather the slightest of all substances from the shores of ocean, but now it comes tighter, you know not. Oh, sorry, but now it comes thither, you know not. I don't know that name in English, but okay, so sorry. But as an author named Cornelius, which is Tacitus, informs us, it is gathered in the innermost islands of the ocean, being formed originally of the juice of a tree, whence its name, Sakinum, and gradually hardened by the heat of the sun. Thus it becomes an exuded metal, a transparent softness, sometimes blushing with the color of saffron, sometimes glowing with a flame-like clearness. Then, gliding down to the margin of the sea and further purified by the rolling of the tides, it is at length transported to your shores to be cast upon them. We have thought it better to point this out to you, lest you should imagine that your supposed secrets have escaped our knowledge. Which is fun. We sent you some presents by our ambassadors and shall be glad to receive further visits to you by the road which you have thus opened up and to show you future favors. And the road, by the way, is called the Amber Road, which was a trade route um, which went through Poland in the Piast period of Poland through the Baltics. Uh, so to trade in this route, you had to actually ask permission to the Polish knazes. But yeah, this is a letter which... Is essentially about Amber, not not saying anything at all about the people who lived here. And the previous is by Tacitus. So all the knowledge. Yeah, um, I, I, it's interesting that they, they talk about Amber so much to me because um, Amber is kind of the impetus for this whole crusade. I, I would love to tell you that it was um, it was uh, for purely holy reasons, Chris, but um, <laughs> it was kind of more... It was kind of more for the uh, the in the West, I guess you could say, is that uh, it was the impetus was more the um, the desire for the uh, commercial uh, amber interest to have some sort of military protection in the while they uh, did their business in the North, right? Hmm. Well, uh, it's kind of interesting because uh, oh boy, um, okay, can I do the table setting here? Because you know what. Um, the amber comes into play this a bit <laughs> later because you just spoke about the first crusade. But to get to the amber and everything, uh, how about you finish up the part with how this crusade happened in the West? And then I'll do some table setting here. Because, um, honestly speaking, I can't skip forward like that. Just talking about amber before mentioning a bunch, a bunch, a bunch of things and a bunch of dates. Which will be terribly boring to our listeners. Which happened here and what actually happened in this place. So, you go you go on with your West. Uh, okay. Well, <laughs> yeah so yeah, i mean and if you're listening at home uh we're, we're still we're still filling out how to do these carlins so be patient with us um and i but this is such a sprawling topic that i i don't see how we couldn't do it any other way but i will just say that the baltic crusades as we know them um becomes sort of a just kind of a a, a branching off of the main catholic crusades that took place between 1096 and 1221 um, I don't need to tell you what the Crusades in the East were all about, but I will tell you that the Crusades in the East were largely a huge failure. Um, the influence of Catholicism in the East was negligible by the time of the Fourth Crusade. So much so that I think that that's what led to, you know, the... Um, we did our episode on the Fourth Crusade, all doges go to heaven, where you know it ended in the army sacking Constantinople, 
and turning their their um turning their sights toward Eastern Orthodoxy. I think because they just finally gave up on the Middle East. Um, they were just too powerful. They way uh, underestimated the the Middle East and um, military leaders such as Suleiman, and um, and you know and um, figures that turned out to let them down immensely, like um, Richard the Lionheart, who was neither. Um, so I think there was this idea that they needed to get some points on the board. Um, Catholicism. They it was utter failure. The Middle East. They lost all of the gains they made within a hundred years or so in the first, second, and third Crusades. There were small crusading kingdoms like um, what would become of the area of Constantinople. Um, these kind of successor kingdoms of the Latins, as they're known in Roman history, um, where they sort of, you know, controlled Constantinople and some some of those parts of Greece, like um, where Thessalonica is today and places, but um, they didn't really control enough to really mount the type of crusading that was would have been necessary to retake the Middle East. But we do know that there are pagans right in our backyard, and why not crusade there? This had already been going on, if you had just listened to our recent series on um, Muslim Spain. Um, this was a big place of crusading. Hey, I can't afford to go all the way to the Middle East. Um, who wants to take those kind of risks when I can just travel a couple hundred miles instead of a few thousand to, you know, get my bona fides with the Pope? And... And you got to remember that the resources that could be gained from crusading, such as lands, titles, um, these trade routes that um, Christophs is describing. And this was particularly important, too, because what was one thing that worried um, the Catholic Church more than anything else at this time was not so much the loss of the territory in the East, but it was the Kingdom of Novgorod. And um, what would uh, later become the Russian state was rapidly expanding during this time. They had fought off um, the Swedish and German incursions that would uh, lead to the story of Alexander Nevsky. Um, that actually happened yeah. later. I'm sorry. You made a mistake. You made oh, a mistake. Okay. You're, you're, okay. I, will say, I will say that eventually leads to Alexander Nevsky because um, the... The That's kingdom correct. of Novgorod are were originally the Republic of Novgorod. <laughs> the Republic of Novgorod. It's a, merchant, yes, a republic. merchant republic originally settled by Scandinavian um, peoples. Um, Who became, by the name, uh, it was settled by the by the Varjagi, from which the name, the name Varangian Guard comes from. And it was settled by a Viking with the dynasty of the name Rurikovich, from which the Ruthenians, which is the Kievan Rus, get their name and the modern-day Russia, yes, too. But, the, but people like the, the Danish, the Swedish, the, um, the Finnish, they, um, they always want a piece of that Novgorodian pie. And they have been fighting off incursions from them. And this only made them stronger and made them start making inroads towards taking these northern territories, this modern day um, Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania. These uh, kind of I guess um, you can correct me if I'm wrong here, Christophs. But what I understand is this area, the people that lived there at the time were known as the Prussians and they were their own. 
No. <laughs> okay. This is why I have you on this one. You're making me look bad. Uh, I'm not making you look bad. It's just that uh, it's not your fault. Uh, it's just that the that's why I'm using all of my sources uh-huh. in Latvian, because the Western sources and especially the English speaking ones, because. Uh, this might sound terrible, but you Anglo-Saxon people are imperialistic <laughs> bastards. Well, no, I'll agree with that. That's why... Because I... uh, uh, at that point, in the territory of Latvia, okay, the Estonians were living in modern-day Estonia. They're, they're one tribe. It's, it's kind of interesting, because uh, they are one tribe at that point. And Lithuanians are also multiple tribes. I don't know all of their names, but they kind of overlap with our tribes, because we're, like, in the middle there. But in Latvian territory, at the time, there were... Five tribes, actually. The let's start with the ones which inhabited modern-day Riga, the Semigallians or Zemgali. Those are the kind of a peaceful sort of guys that inhabit the Riga. They're the trading guys, and what's important to understand here with them is that they control the entrance to Daugava. Daugava is our main river. It's called the Severnaya Dvina or Zapadnaya Dvina. I don't know, some sort of Dvina in Russian. But basically, if you travel to Daugava from the exit to the seat all the way where it starts, then you have to cross over a single mountain to get to uh, to get to basically river. I don't know, is it Dvina? I guess it's Dvina or something. But essentially, you when you travel to Daugava from the north, you have to move over a single mountain in the Altai Heights to get to the river, which can get you basically to Black Sea and Constantinople. You can see why this is important in medieval era, oh, yeah. right? Yeah, that control of the Black Sea is everything, right there. I mean, because because you can because this is this is just a river route straight from here to Constantinople. This route is, by the way, how the Varangian Guard got there in the first place. This is how we actually got in contact with everyone, because this whole river trade route through Daugava down to multiple other rivers to Black Sea, then to Constantinople, was really, really, really important. So, uh, yeah, these Zemgali tribe, they controlled this area around Riga, and, and they controlled the middle part of what's today Latvia. Then there were, slightly above them, controlling the coasts, and the northern part were the Leaves, or Libyash, as we call them Latvian. Uh, they, that's why, because of the Leaves, as they were the closest to the sea, uh, sometimes Latvia and Liv- Livonia got their name because of them. And that's why Latvia is called Livland in some places. Now, to the right of them, there's the Letigallians, or Latgal, which are, like, where our language comes from. Those are the main tribes. Oh, yeah, and Zemgal are essentially Zemaishi, who entered down to Lithuania later, but those are that tribe. But Latgal is to the left, and half of them, namely, um, have to check here again. Um, Yeah, they, by this point, were taking up uh, Russian Orthodoxy because of the Russian influence. Uh, yeah, before Christianity, first first attempts of Christianity in Latvia, in Latvian territory in the Baltics, started way before the Crusades because of the... In, in the Danish, Danish uh, Rimbert Chronicle, it is said that under the order of uh, and the encouragement of the king of the Danes, Sven Estridsson, in the 1070... Uh, the first church, uh, first wooden Christian church was built in this territory. And in the eastern part, in the 11th century, the orthodoxy was there already. So that you know that 
it wasn't actually pagans they were fighting against. The tribes had their leaders, like there were separate kingdoms. Latigallians weren't a united country. They, it's like Crusader kings, they had Talava, Yersika, Kwoknes, all these places, and most of them had taken up orthodoxy. It was mostly for the big ruling families, but they had it. Okay, I, I made a big, big time. <laughs> hey, Anyways. The, it's the Caroline um, baby, we can just let her balls hang out. Oh, great. And then there's the Sele. I really don't know and can't find their name in English because that's a very... It's not a small tribe. It's just it's stuck there between Zemgali, Biyashi, and Latgali. It's just there. It's They're basically Lithuanians, okay? They're just there. They're like sort of in the middle between the Latgali and the Zemgali. Like Latgalians and Semigalians. Which is interesting because you think about these names. Latgalians, Semigalians. They're like Gauls treated as Gauls because of all this Roman influence. And then there's the guys who take up the western part, the most western part of Latvia, the sea coast, the biggest chunk. Like, Latigalians take up the east part, which is a huge chunk. Le- the, these guys take up the western chunk, and I take my nickname on the eastern border site and on the internet and many, many names from those guys. Because those guys were badass. They're called Kuronians, or Kurshe. The Duchy of Kurland, which appears later, also takes their name from them. But they're the most badass Latvians there were. Essentially, imagine people who... You know, Vikings raided England, right? A lot. Burned down, like, all sorts of uh, monasteries and shit. Kuronians were the people who set up colonies in Denmark and went to the Danish king, often beat him up and took the shit they took from the England to here. They were the rich guys, because they were essentially pirates. They were pirates and warriors, and if you know something about Warhammer, they would worship corn, basically. <laughs> very honor-bound, very uh, very strict. Everyone else was mostly, mostly agrarian. These guys were the sea-bound they're, they're sp- people. They're spilling blood uh, for the blood god here. <laughs> yes. Mostly, yeah, because uh, that, that's what they do. Anyway, all of these tribes are fighting with each other, fighting with Finn Ulrich guys in Finland, down with Lithuanians, with the Polotskin Russia. They're just fighting all the time. They're all backstabbing bastards, which is one of the things which people kind of try, try to forget over here is that, yeah, they're all backstabbing warrior-like bastards, especially Koronians, who are like really warrior-type people. But what thing is I want to say about the Koronians is that around the 9th century, which is from where we have all, all of our archaeological evidence, the Koronians at this time are super, 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 super wealthy. Uh, I mean... Uh, you do know that a chainmail and a good quality sword, good Viking sword, was like, I don't know, a Mercedes-Benz right. today, right? So these guys, in their graves, we can find that they rolled up swords and put them in the graves. And they did it after the battle to sacrifice to the Patcons, their god. And they just smashed up chainmails. Normally, in this, in this time period, you would just get looting and you just take the metal and stuff from the enemy. But they... As they live near the seacoast, they have the most amber, so they can trade for whatever they need. And they're so good at trading that when they beat up someone in battle, mostly Vikings. Koronians are the guys that Vikings were afraid of. Uh, So those guys would just take their swords and heat them up and roll them up as a ritual sacrifice because it's like, we beat you with our own things. This is bullshit. You have nothing. Uh, Puny Vikings raiding some British coast. Suckers. There are some Viking chronicles about how they retaliated. It wasn't always one-sided, but mostly, yeah, they rolled up 
very 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 precious swords it is like you know you you go loot your neighbor you punch his face and you grab his mercedes benz and you grab his money and then you burn his money like the joker did in the dark knight and then you smash up his mercedes benz and you say fuck it i have better cars here they did that thing nice that's that's so yeah, those are the tribes who lived in this area. Lithuanians had separate tribes there as well. I don't know them as well that much, but they had Jemaitians and everything. Uh, Prussians lived in the part which is now Kaliningrad, which was Königsberg. They were all genocided out by the Russians later and by the Germans. Those guys had a terrible, terrible, terrible fate. They, they, they're all dead now. Completely fucking dead. There are no ethnic Prussians. What you call Prussia are just Germans. The ethnic old Prussians are dead. Yeah, I was reading that. That, that basically, uh, who we're going to get into later? These some of these uh, these orders uh, when they when they set up shop over there. Where you're talking about in Kanenberg, Kanenberg, or wherever. Königsberg. My family is from there. Uh, when they been. set up shop there, they basically just killed everyone rather than dealing. They didn't even bother with converting them. They just kind of just took all their shit and killed them all. Um, and it would later become. I guess. I guess the, this is a good point. Now that we have the, the table setting there, and I'm glad you did that, Christoph, because I didn't find anything in English on that. Um, we, we were. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because because you know what you know. What? Yep. When uh, two thirds of the American people, as far as our embassy, like Latvian embassy in America, did this research, two thirds of American people can't point on the map where Latvia is. Okay. Yeah. So no, no I, yeah. I, well, I believe it because like, you know, we grew up just believing all that. All that over there is just Russia. You know, when we were growing up, it's all the Soviet Union. It's all USSR. Growing up, you know, my. By the way, by the way, by the way, about Balts, we are officially the only people who can yell "white power" and not feel racist. You know why? Because Balts is not just the name of our whole united tribes, like all these tribes I mentioned, plus Lithuanians. Estonians are Finno-Ugric, so it's a bit different. But Balts is also the name for the color white in Latvian, and Baltas in Lithuanian. So we're the white people. <laughs> Literally the white people. Um, Literally yeah. the white people. And by the way, Slavs are the glorious people, because Slava or Slava, accents change between Latvian and Russian, means glory. Oh, see... Yeah. So the word that you get the word slave from, because they were used as slaves, sort of, in the Roman Empire, means glory. So the Slavs are the glorious people, and we're the white oh, people. We're the only now white that makes people. sense because like when a lot of like racist groups in America, like they always use like the word Prussia or Prussian to describe like um, pure whiteness. You know, um, that must be where that comes from. I don't know, because they most likely think of the German yeah, Prussia. That too. But, I mean, but, it must have, like, antecedents but, but, there. Yeah. Like, you know, where, like, Balts are, you know, the white people. and that they, they've... No, the, I, I, think it, I think it's because, really, of the, the thing. Because, like, English is in the German language group, and you can just follow through this, through languages, okay? So, Baltic languages have their own separate group. And Slavic languages are way more separate than this, but it's just that... We were so isolated in this small thing and at the same time kind of connected to, connected to things and we were so close to Black Sea that the theory goes like this because the Baltic people are the closest to the original Indo-European people that are living in Europe. We are the closest to the ancient things because our language is the closest one to that. Right now it's been polluted with the German language and the Russian language but our original Latvian language is like 
like the closest thing because uh, there are a bunch of historians and scientists who think that you know Indo- Indo-European people have descended and came to Europe through Anatolia, mm-hmm. right? That's the official means. Well, as you know, Daugava and this trade route is straightly, directly connected to the Black Sea and is very, very comfortable to travel to. So apparently the tribes settled in this territory came from the original Indo-Europeans, the part of them who just traveled up the rivers and settled here. And we haven't really mixed with well, anyone. So we're kind of really, really cr- close to I that. Can, I can buy that because when we were doing our Bronze Age uh, series, um, we did. there is some compelling evidence that those mythical sea people were originally from Eastern Europe that attacked, you know... Um, the the Egyptians and things like that in the Levant. There is some there is some compelling evidence to suggest that. So I I can buy that that it was originally. It's it's just it's just a theory, but it's it's the linguistical yep. evidence because our languages take their own separate branch, and there are just two languages here. Germanic language has all the Scandinavian languages, uh, da, all the da, Dutch, German, all these Germ- German languages plus English. That's all Germanic languages from those tribes. Slavic languages are everything to the east of us. But we're just separate. We're just there. So I don't know. <laughs> Man, this is so interesting that I'm I'm embarrassed that I have to get it to the boring part now. Um, and that boring part I'm going to talk about, Chris, is that um, as, uh, I'm going to talk a little bit about investiture. Oh, everybody. <laughs> Great. I don't know nothing about okay. this. We've talked about this before, especially in some of our uh, other episodes on crusading. Um, investiture basically means that there was a, around the time of the first crusade in 1095, and definitely through the 12th century, there were a few, there were so many different, I guess you could say groups vying for power, and nobody could really agree on who had the power. There was the Pope. There was the um, there was the, um, the 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 Western Catholic Pope, the Roman Catholic Pope, which is the I guess could claim descent from the very you know Roman emperors in a way. There was the Holy Roman Emperor that began with Charlemagne, that was uh, you know supposedly the defender of the faith, the Western. So and then there are. Um, Every variety of prince and nobility and bishop and lesser nobility and counts and viscounts and barons and princes and princesses all vying for an increasingly shrinking piece of um, Western Europe because as the borders are expanding, the goods, I guess you could say the loot, the the skrilla, the, 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 the property, uh, where you're going to go and claim, you know, stake your claim and make your fortune is shrinking rapidly. It's not working out so well in the Middle East. Um, so where are you going to go? Well, uh, and as you can imagine, all of these struggles about who has the real power led to increasing unrest amongst the common people. There are more and more peasant revolts in the what we would call modern-day Germany, but back then would have been a loose conglomeration of tribal factions known as the Holy Roman Empire. Um, um, there are increasing peasant revolts. Um, people struggling to make their escape in their own way in the world. Common people, not just princes and viscounts and counts and barons and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, count who's a fuck from where's this shit, you know, is going to, you know, try to like, you know, make some weak claim on his brother, um, the baron who gives a fuck, you know. And then, you know, these wars are constantly breaking out within the Holy Roman Empire. 
So much of these peasants are given incentives to kind of, rather than deal with them violently or even placate them, are given incentives to essentially just get the fuck out. Just, if you could leave, please just leave. And where are they all sent? They are increasingly sent to the northern countries, the Baltic regions. And they are relieved from the obligations of serfdom when they get here because the Baltic regions at this time, we're told, kind of live a traditionally peasant lifestyle. And I don't mean that in, the ba- in a bad kind of derogatory way. I mean that they live, you know, kind of farming, um, subsistence farming, hunter-gatherer lives, raiding lifestyles. And that is bullshit. <laughs> Once again, my sources have failed me. Then I, you, I'm really, I'm really, uh, I'm really. Uh... What you're quoting here is an invention of the 19th century Latvian national ah, romanticists. Okay. Well, please correct me then, because that's the. I will. Uh, basically, <clears throat> the traditional traditional Latvian source and which our nationalists use. Uh, I am sort of one, I guess. I don't know. Um, basically. <clears throat> Every 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 source which is written in the 19th century says that Baltics is the same. And I'm quoting here: Baltics is the land of happiness before the Crusades. Peaceful, satisfied, self-sufficient people lived here. They, it was an idyllic pastoral space. Yeah. Uh, for example, in the 1240, the Franciscan monk Bartholomeus Anglis. Seriously, Anglis. It's like English. He worked in the University of Paris in his encyclopedia De, Propribeta- De Proprietatibus Rerum. Uh, Semigallians are kind of described there as uneducated, grim, and very somber. And the Danish Rimbert Chronicle about the Coronians writes as it's <clears throat> very vicious, very violent, and evil, terrible, terrible people. Why? Well, because we used to beat the fuck out of those guys. You think Vikings are badass? Meet Coronians. Because, you know, that's what the Vikings wrote about the Coronians. Think about this. Vikings describing someone else as very, very mean, vicious, terrible, evil, violent people. (laughs) Well, I can believe that. I mean, you know, even the most uh, idyllic, you know, I mean, we're talking about the early Middle Ages here. So we're talking about a time of constant warfare. So I can believe that. I mean, yeah, because because they were just there. were This religion was basically something taken from Scandinavian. It's very similar. Actually, our main god is Perkons, which is essentially thunder, which is essentially Thor. Uh, then there is Lima and Mara, which is Freya and, and, and all these other goddesses. It's very kind of similar polytheistic beliefs there. But one documented place, which will understand to you that we were, we were doing our farming business and we were just wanted, we, we wanted to be left alone unless we go and beat someone up. Uh, one of the things is that uh, there are some laws. They come, see, uh, and how, here I have to describe how we get this information. Because uh, Latvians didn't have a written language back then. What people who lived in Latvia, these, this territory, they didn't even speak the same language at that moment. We have this humongous tradition of folk songs here. It's unique because we haven't found this deep tradition in folk songs anywhere else. It's called Dainas. It's uh, quatrains, essentially, or rubayad, whatever. Uh, four, like, you know, poem, like uh, small poems. They, they, they rhyme and they're in like, like four, four, four lines. 
and those are not only poetry they contain all the information if you were the wise man you know all of them and there are them about and there are those quatrains about how do you i don't know how do you serve the gods how you kill enemies how you do everything what are the traditions everything is just uh, saved all the knowledge is saved up in poetry and just saved like this we didn't have epics we had a ton of these quatrains so we know our laws from these quatrains because that's our cultural heritage from which we know how the people lived back then. And in some of them, one of the most interesting things written in Chronicles and can be found in things is a thing that you might like and very interesting death penalty, which will describe you how we kind of uh, kill people. Oh, I love this stuff. As you know. As you oh, know. Yeah. Basically, basically, one of the things is that you know, if you murdered someone, you didn't even have to go to court. If your brother got murdered, you got up, you you got your friends and did some nice blood vengeance. That's what we rolled. That's how we rolled. But uh, you could just avenge someone. Didn't fucking matter. But the, the the people who were guilty of murder and they were caught, they weren't just killed. There were two very very nice and special punishments for them uh, here. The first one is the easy one. Uh, they they kind of cut your belly open. They take your uh, innards, like you know uh, your intestines. You mean like yes, intestines. Yes, I'm sorry. And then they tie them up. Uh, they they put a stick or a sword in the ground, and then they tie the one end of the intestines around that sword, and you are forced to walk around that sword until your intestines oh, fall nice. out. <laughs> That's the least harmful method. Now imagine two young, two, two kind of trees. They're young trees like birch or, or willow trees. Willow trees would be better for this purpose. But you know, they're elastic. They can be uh, like bent in some way or form, but they're still like trees. Okay? So you bend two trees down. And you tie them to the ground with a rope. and But you you tie two ropes, one rope to each leg, like... Your left leg is tied to the bent down one willow tree or a birch, and the other your other leg is tied to the other willow tree or a birch. And those willow trees or birches, which are like bent down, are then tied to the ground. So when they execute you, they just cut off the ropes that hold the willow trees or the birches to the ground. You are literally ripped apart as the trees uh, straighten oh, themselves. Wow. <laughs> I wish I I I I kind of almost feel guilty whenever I like laugh and go wow when horrible executions are described, but they do fascinate me. Um, but I guess it's like they, they were fighting all the time with everyone oh, sure. around them. They weren't peaceful, nice people. They were doing some subsistence. If by subsistence you mean um, murdering people and taking <laughs> their stuff. And growing some stuff, and then sometimes it's like in this Rammstein song, you know, you know, like America, blah blah blah. Sometimes war, you know, sometimes war, sometimes growing things, sometimes brutal, harsh murder. Oh, sure, yeah. I mean, I, I would, I would expect nothing less of the early Middle Ages. It was a time of of constant warfare and assholes being assholes to each other. So I, I won't, I never do good guys and bad guys. So I'm not going to frame this in a way of like, oh. These peaceful, you know, Smurfs were living in Smurf Village, and then these evil, you know, Darth Vader's came along. But I guess what I'll say um, to kind of get up to where we're going with the um, this uh, Baltic Crusade is, is that um, as these people, oh boy, this is this is. I'm sorry, this is going to be a long episode as I as I whatever Glenn just said from his source. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm running out of my own sources here because, you know, Glenn mentioned something and I just explained, oh, my God. 
Oh, I suck. Listen to Eastern Border and better no, there. No, oh, kill no, me, kill I, me. I love this. I love that. Um, I love the differences between the two sources. I've always wanted to get into more complex sources and like somebody else's attitude. Um, where, where, where some of these? But I mean, to get to get us up to about where we're going to go and why um, the uh, Western Catholic Church becomes so interested in this place is that. As as we were talking about, these people start to migrate more and more into this Baltic region from places like you know the Holy Roman Empire. Um, they the the need for some of these products grows, and some of these uh more these Baltic uh, re, uh resources become more well known and more available. To say uh, we're talking about in particular the amber trade. Um, that comes from this place. Um, very popular, and it starts to attract professional traders. And these um, professional traders uh, quite naturally want protection. And they want some kind of security, some kind of means of knowing that, hey, you know, we're going to be strangers in a strange land. We don't want our intestines pulled out of our bellies while we walk around a sword. What can you do to help us, oh holy roman emperor while we're over here getting all of your luxury trade goods like amber well um at the same time like we like i mentioned before the catholic church wants to halt the expansion of the eastern russian orthodox church into the baltic lands it becomes sort of a dick measuring contest about who can take their christian virginity first essentially um because hey, you know the 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 Pope, the, you know the Catholic Church is embarrassed enough around this time. We're talking about the late twelfth century, because the uh, Middle Eastern Crusades aren't going so well, and they're starting to lose support for them. You know, after the Fourth Crusade, there wasn't really a whole lot of interest again in the um, in crusading in the Middle East. There was more interest in fighting amongst ourselves in things like the Hundred Years' War and uh, Mu- uh, Muslim Iberia, like we talked about, North Africa, and eventually the Baltic. Oh, wait, wait. I, I have to mention this one. Uh, Muslim Africa actually has a connection Does to it? this one. Okay, cool. Yeah, because, uh, you know, you spoke about all these... Uh, Granada and, and especially the how was it Cordoba yes. Caliphate, right? It was Cordoba, right? Uh, there is archaeological evidence because you know because of my faculty, I have a you know I have them friends over there who work in the museums and are archaeologists by this point. Um, and there is archaeological evidence that yeah, there were traders from Cordoba coming over here and trading with the locals as well. You know because you had two options: you can either go the Mediterranean where there were a bunch of pirates to get to Constantinople and the eastern parts. Or you can, you know, go up north, take your luck here, travel through Daugava and then through Dvina and all that, those rivers. And it was actually longer, but it was much, much safer. Well, I, yeah, I can, yeah, I can imagine. So, yeah, okay. So uh, the, we have Arabian dirhams, like their coins, found in Latvia. And Koronian graves, for one. But then again, Koronian graves contained everything from everyone. Right, when you have a raiding sea people, I guess you tend to collect a lot of stuff. Um, but especially if you're going, you know, raiding down into the Black Sea and Constantinople, which was sort of the crossroads of the world for a few hundred years there. Um, but, um, yeah, so what we're talking about is a, a conflagration, and I love that word. We're talking about the, um, for the first time in this late 11th century, um, the commercial interests, like I was talking about that investiture, um, rather than becoming one with, say, the Holy Roman Empire or, um, you know, Baron von Suckadick over there in, you know, uh, Saxony, 
we're talking about a um a union between the interests of the Roman Catholic Church and economic commercial trading interests in medieval Europe society. Um, so how can we go over there, beat, beat um, you know, Eastern Orthodoxy, beat the Republic of Novgorod, um, beat Constantinople or whatever is left of the um, Eastern Roman Empire at this time, which wasn't a whole hell of a lot. Um, let's send some monks up there to kind of probe around and, um, and just see like what, what the interest might be in, um, converting the local populations. And it, oh, oh, oh you're talking about the first monks yes. in these parts. I will take over from Please here do. if I can. Um, also the first thing is that <clears throat> everything I needed to know about Islam I learned in 1453. <laughs> Yeah, but let's uh, that's, that's a joke. That's a joke. Uh, yeah. That's a joke, guys. Uh, if we have any Muslim listeners, uh, don't take this personally. It's just a meme. Yeah, he, yeah. It's, it's we're, 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 he's being satirical here. He's not being serious. Um, yeah, but I am sometimes. I'm sometimes more. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's that's sometimes. that's hard to believe. But yeah, um, we're talking in the very in the very late 12th <laughs> century. Um, I guess I guess you could correct me if I'm wrong, but I'll throw it over to you. Um, an Augustinian monk from named Meinhard. Um, my main oh, okay. yes i was i was about to speak okay, with great. this guy i'm best people got this guy uh-huh. and what this guy is actually remembered with like fondness in here because unlike the guys who followed him Berthold and uh albert this guy was actually pretty cool it's, it, it, this we're, t- we're now talking about the parts which are written in the henry's chronicle but uh this minard guy he kind of arrived here this, with these merchants in the 12th, 12th century. And uh, this minor guy arrives here in 1170. He's from the Zegenberg uh, Monastery. He's a monk called Meinard. He actually learned the local language, the Leave language, which is different from Latgalian and everything else. And he just kind of started converting people. And he was very, very peaceful. And the fact is that he asked if he can convert people from the Knyaz of Polotsk, Vladimir, which is Eastern Orthodox, by the way, uh, to whom the leaves, that, that one tribe, were paying tribute all the time. So this guy bought some land inwards in the Daugava stream, not in the very coast, but a bit further, in called, a place called Ixchile or Uxkil in the German, because we have all these city names, which are Latvian, and then we have German because of so long. So in... 1184, he built the first church there. By the way, in that place later was uh, built... In that place, a bit later, the first, like, stone building was built in Latvia, which is also a church, because we had so much wood. Like, Latvia is still 59% forest, okay? Right now, we have two forests in in our capital, and wild boars running around in our city streets, and our capital is still a major problem. So, so you know that we just we knew how to build stone buildings. We just didn't do it because we have all this forest here. And in 1186, the Archbishop of Bremen, Hartwig II, ordained him as the first leave bishop because he was just busy converting things. But uh, he was doing all this converting. He was trying to actually be peaceful and calm and very idealistic, unlike many other things. But some people got angry. Some people were uh, 
were trying to like fight against him because he was trying to convert these leaves and his mission was being disrupted by the constant attacks by Lithuanians and Semigallians to these leaves. So he promised to the leave kings the defense against the invaders if he will just show together with the rest of the merchants, just show them how to build stone castles and how to defend themselves against Lithuanians and Semigallians if they'll become Christian. So the Leaves promised to become Christian as soon as the castles are finished. Now, a lot of this Ixchil, I'm going to say it in German because it's easier for you Americans to say it than Ixchile, uh, a lot of this was built by his own personal property and became his own property. But as soon as the castles were finished, those Leaves basically betrayed Maynard, who tried to convert them. And essentially attacked them and his, like, attendants and everything, and attacked Maynard's properties and just tried to burn it down. Also, it's interesting because they tried to wash off the Christianity, because, you know, they were baptized in Daugava as the full baptizing, and they thought that, you know, they could just wash it off. They're no longer Christian because they just washed it off. So this Maynard guy with his unsuccessful attempts of Christianizing people here, Christianizing our warlike guys, of whom half are orthodox already, in the 1195 tries to just go back home. But from one of the elders around these parts, uh, elders from Turaida, which is nearby Ükskel, the elder's name is Anno, he gets a warning that the pagan leaves want to murder him on the road. So... Maynard, or Meinhard, stays in Uxkill, but sends a monk called Theodoric to the Pope for some advice. Now, knowing now this, this Pope, Celestine III, decides that, you know, there are some Christians here in the Baltics and you just can't leave them alone. At least that's what the Chronicles say. Obviously, oh no, there are Christians in the Baltics, uh, Catholics in the Baltics, we must not leave them alone. So that's how, after this Minard, after this attack by the Leaves, and he's a bit backstabbed and fucked over, because he was like, he was actually a really peaceful guy. He's one of the few German early crusaders who's not hated. We kind of look bad at the, you know, Leaves and those tribes for like, come on, you guys, not this guy. Really? Really? You fucked up this guy? He was like there. He actually taught us how to build like stone castles. Like, better and shit. But after this one, this is when the Celestine Third decides that, hmm, yes, I have a legitimate reason those pagans are trying to kill some Christians here, eh? Hmm, it would be shame. They have all this amber, too. It would be like a, a shame if something would happen to these uh, Christians and amber. I mean, Christians, <laughs> yeah. yes. Um. Yeah, I think more interested in the amber trade, of course. But yes, um, but yes, uh, ostensibly, yes, we must protect these Christians now. So that is kind of the beginning. Yes, uh, Christians. Yes, uh, yes, with with yes. all their amber. <laughs> yes. yes, we must protect. Uh, yes, we must protect this at all costs. But now we that now that the Roman Catholic Church has a foothold in there, they believe they now have you know permission to you know walk into your house, drink your beer, and piss with the door open. Um, so that becomes sort of the. Um, the mission statement. I guess and you could probably speak to this a little better than I could because that becomes sort of what happens with um, Maynard's um, successor, uh, Bishop Berthold, who um, 
so when oh, when yeah. he goes, when, <laughs> Fuck that guy. when Bert when Bertold comes, there is a, wait wait, there is a district in Riga. Like you know, we have you have names for suburbs. Like in New York, you have Brooklyn, Bronx. I hope yeah. they're all in New York. You know, you have all these districts. In Riga, we also have same districts. One of them, Imanta, is named after the guy who fucking murdered Berthold. <laughs> because when Berthold comes, he has a different mission statement than a Minard who just came. Remember, Minard just came up with some merchants to come and, you know, convert some people and spread the good news, as we say in the West. But Berthold brings an army um, with the idea that he is going to convert the population in 1198 by any means necessary, um, at the point of a sword, even if necessary. Um, and this is sort of, con- this is considered um, the, the, I guess he's the first guy on the dance floor with the Baltic Crusade. Because this, uh, this whole, um, I guess you could say, this whole little adventure of Bertold um, is it, uh, begins around the same time that Pope Innocent III declares the Fourth Crusade. So, kind of piggybacking on that. Hey, it, it might be it might be Celest. I don't know because in my Latvian sources, uh, the Pope to which Theodoric is said is called Celestine the oh, Third. Okay. Celestine Streshais. I don't know. It it might be different because I'm looking at Latvian sources at this moment, and you know they translate popes like they translate animes. <laughs> Shitty. <laughs> it might be. Uh, mine says Innocent the Third, so his says a different one. But we'll just say that the Fourth Crusade is declared. Okay, it's, 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 it's the third guy. <laughs> the third guy. Okay. But, so, I guess sort of piggybacking now on this idea that the crusade is on, now we can just kind of do whatever we please with these. Because remember, but wait! <laughs> in between uh, this, in between this, okay? Remember I told you about the Theodoric? Yeah. Together with Theodoric, to the Pope, goes a guy from Turaida, who's a king of leaves. One of the kings of leaves, like many tribes. His name is Kaupo. In the Chronicle of Indric, he's mentioned as almost almost a king and the elder of the leaves of Turaida. Uh, in Latin, that would be quasi rex et senior livonum de Toreda. He owned a bunch of things, and he was a Christian. He accepted Christianity, converted to Christianity in 1191, somewhere between 1191 and 1196. See, the thing is, uh, he went with this Theodoric together with him, and he actually visited the fucking Pope and the Holy Roman Emperor. And he became a vassal of the Holy Roman Emperor. Uh, He converted to Christianity... uh, while, you know, the usual thing, uh, he was dying and the, the just monks said to him that, oh, well, if you praise the Lord, you'll be saved. And you know what? He was. So he was mentioned the first time in the 1200 year. Anyways, in the 1203, together with, the, with this Theodoric, he traveled around Europe in a trip which ended up in Rome. And the Pope, Innocent III, oh, yes, this is a different Pope. Uh, Celestine III was before Innocent III, apparently uh, Celestine III, then Innocent III. So this Innocent III took him on, got an audience with him, and actually was considerate about him. And a couple of days after, when Kaupo went back home, the Pope presented the King of the Leaves 100 gulden in gold. That's insane amount of money for the time. Wow. 100 gulden. 
So in 1204, Copa returns from his trip. Now, just, you know, this is a cool guy. He's just living here, you know, killing people, ripping them off with willow trees. And now he just, you know, had a road trip around Europe, went to, went to Rome, saw the Pope, bro-fisted the Pope, apparently, got a shit ton of money from Pope, and, you know, became more Christian. And he just came here and, you know, started like, hey, uh, Pope's really cool. He gave us, like, all this money. It's amazing. Let's be Catholic now. But another reason why the Crusades happened is that his people kind of didn't like Christianity that much. So in 1206, the Leaves, who were pagans at the time, decided that, you know what? Fuck this rich motherfucker. Let's burn him. So they did. They, he was just dragged out and sent away. And one of the first attacks in this crusade in 1207 was when this Kaupo got, alli- got allied with the Semigallians and together with the German, I'm just going to call them German, their Holy Roman Empire, and most of them, most foot soldiers are Swedes, but whatever, they're German in traditional historiography. Kaupo was actually leading the first assault, the first real battle in this crusade. Like, a lead king who just was born here, who went to Pope, who did all these things. He was doing this first real military assault to Turaide to actually get his shit back. <sighs> and he's one of the smartest guys around, and he also he also helped Riga, he helped Crusaders. He was, like, really fucking dedicated to this. And he was a vassal of the Holy Roman Emperor. He wasn't ever enslaved. Now, his people later were, because he died in 1217, 21st of September, in the Battle of St. Ma- Matthew's Day. And he had no sons or anything. So when he died, he literally, in his will, uh, as the king, left all his lands to the Livonian bishopric, to which we'll get to the point. But it's important to understand that some people here treat him as a traitor, when in fact he was just the guy who had played the Crusader King the most. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh, hey. I was about to say. <laughs> yeah. Oh hey, uh, I get a bunch of money and I get to be your vassal. I can still rule my lands if I help you a bit with my levies. And you have all these cool dudes there and like stone castles because stone castles were the really the te- only technological advantage that the crusaders had here because we had raided so much that we also had swords and axes and armor and everything didn't have plate but then again nobody at that time had used plate that much and latvian ground is terrible for cavalry which is why the mongols couldn't conquer us because they really later when the mongols invade and there's this tater yoke they kind of stop at the border of latvia you know, they conquer all of Russia, they, they get into Hungary and Poland, but they stop at Latvia and Lithuania and Estonia. Why? Because all the fucking forests. Yeah, I... Yeah. Your horse archers are <laughs> shit in the Baltics. Yeah, I was reading that, that the major, kind of the major campaign operations of the Teutonic Order and some of these other crusading orders had to take place in the winter because it was just easier to run the horses across the ice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. yeah. in the summer, look, there yeah. are no roads. There are no yeah. proper roads. There's only... F- even today, 21st century, remind you, 59% of Latvia is mm-hmm. intense forest. Yeah, yeah, I w- yeah. I, w- okay. that's why I, I guess that makes sense now. I was reading that most of the operations had to happen in winter so they could run the horses across frozen lakes 
um, because it was just impossible to go dirt on that, you know, that wet, muddy ground in the summer. Yeah, they actually they tried to do some some battles on the ground, like in the 1206, uh, the famous Battle of the Sun. It's Battle of the Sun, but it, we don't know where it happened. It's either in Shauli in Lithuania or in Vatsaula, Latvia. Saula is sun in Latvian. Uh, yeah, that, that's when uh, the order sometimes even lost. Because you know, those times when they were really, really arrogant and tried to use their cavalry, their heavy armor and their heavy horses in the forested, muddy land of Latvia and the Baltics, they got fucked over. The times they won, it was because the locals kind of helped them. And this is the first. You can continue about the Crusades now. It's just important that this Kopo guy, like, he, he was a local who was just, you know, you know, he was just got some money. He got he lived a good life. He wanted to keep living the good life because, you know, that sweet, sweet Roman wine. And, the, you know, you're a Latvian. And if, if you go to the Mediterranean and see Italy these days, it's like, wow, it's amazing because, you know, we're, we're, we're not that rich. And visiting somewhere far above and having a warm climate and not terrible, terrible cold and darkness all the time is fun. And, you know, he went there. And well, I, I can understand you're drinking, like you said, I mean, you're drinking all that, that, that awesome Italian wine. Not a whole lot of vineyards in Latvia, I imagine. Ah, <laughs> uh, actually. Oh, really? Actually. And this will, this will surprise you. We have, a, we have, Latvia is, in the Guinness Book, World, Guinness Book of World Records, we are the most northern place in the planet Earth where there are wow, vineyards. Oh, wow. They came later, but there's a town called Smilton, and uh, we, we, we have a bit of a really sour wine. It's Riesling by taste, but we make some wine here. Not much, but this this area here, Latvian vineyards are the most northern vineyards on the planet Earth. But they, they even survived the winter? So, like, do they do they survive, like, the, 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 the cold climates? Like, because uh, I thought, oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, we are, we are the very, very border of wine producing. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. Then again, French people would think our wine is shit. I even think our <laughs> wine is shit. But some people like it. Uh, I don't know. We are a beer. Well, yeah, I imagine, yeah, beer. much like, uh, much like uh, the English and the, uh, and the, uh, and the Danes. Yeah, yeah, you had to develop beer because you didn't have a whole lot of wine. But I wanted to ask you, I, I was most curious about this. How... Is the uh, how is Bishop Berthold's successor Bishop Albert seen? Because he is the guy that he establishes the city of Riga. We haven't finished. Oh, I'm sorry. So this Berthold guy just arrives and together with Kalpo bashes shit up. Berthold gets a bunch of properties, but you know what? It's Crusader Kings all over again. Because Berthold has an alliance with Leaves and some Megalians. He kind of converts them. He does a bunch of shit. He murders, rapes, pillages. You know the usual. Um, But then. There, there is a place in Riga. It's not a city yet. It's a village because it's a, you know, place. It's just right next to the sea. You know, it's obviously that people live there, just not a city yet. So um, he builds a castle there, but that's still not the beginning of Riga. But basically, Berthold kind of manages to get in trouble because Coronians are nice, uh, very mean people. Decide to show him who's the fucking boss in this area. And they attack him. You know what? They win. Because the Semigallians and his allies, they're outnumbered. The, his allies are not helping that much. You know, things happen. He's just there with his crusader armies and everything. But he gets his ass kicked. Uh, kind of, they just ransack the place and go back. Because Coronians are not the guys who conquer places. They just ransack shit and go back. 
So this is where the where, where our kind of uh, this district name comes from. It's uh, I'm gonna open this book. It's a tale from the Chronicle. Uh, there is this about the Berthold and this battle. And there is a poem there. I'm going to read it in Latvian, then I'm going to explain it. Tam zelta pilis nauzot, tas zobens nesarūs, kurš dzelžu bruņas laužot, kā liesma kļuvis būs. That's from, that's from National Epo. Basically, it's uh, the guy who sleeps in the Golden Castle, his sword will not rust. He who breaking the iron armor will become the flame, flame itself. That's the part of the poem. But essentially, there's this battle between the leaves and the Coronians and the Germans and like the huge mishmash around Riga. But Bertolt, who's been trying to convert people and trying to do this rape, pillage, everything, massive things, he really hasn't achieved that much here. So he wants some fucking glory, man. He wants to be the he wants to be the cool kid. He's a bishop, but he really wants to be the cool kid. So uh, the leaves and the Coronians kind of retreat a bit because it's near near place called Riga, which is not a city yet. But essentially, heavy cavalry can operate here because it's somewhat less forest than everything else. So Bishop Bertolt decides that, hey, yeah, fuck that noise. I'm gonna ride forward with all the rest of the knights. I'm gonna be the glorious, most awesome dude ever. And then a single Latvian together just retreating just turns around, you know, while retreating on his horse and just throws a spear. And smack dab Bertolt is dead by this. And to him, there's the poem lines. To whom, to whom who sleeps in the golden castle, his sword will not rust, who breaking the iron armor will become flame. Because fuck yeah, his name was Imauts or Imante, and he fucking murdered Bertold. Became a national hero. And still, you're saying, right, that he still is, like... Yeah, because you know what, you know, you don't get to, like... You... Bertold was an asshole. This guy killed that asshole. There is nothing else known about this guy, by the way. He's mentioned in the Chronicle of Henry and in some, like, these dinosaurs I'll told you about. But as far as we know, he just went back being Coronian, you know, raiding, pillaging, uh, being a rich motherfucker and decided that, yeah, well, fuck that noise. I'm gonna murder this bishop dude. Hope they fuck off. Well, sadly, they didn't. But yeah, uh, there's a legend that says that this Imanta is uh, kind of beaten up in a duel with a poison sword, blah, 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 later. But that's all... Uh, that's all bullshit, really. I, Apparently, it's, it's a heroic legend that, you know, the, the Germans decided to kill this guy with, with trickery. Nah, he most likely went back home and drank a bunch of beer. Way more cooler. Yeah, that way too. yeah that's, probably, that's probably the more likely one, yeah. But, um, as, uh, yeah, but, hey, it's the lesser Bonaparte's, like we like to say, uh, when the legend becomes fact, print the legend. So, um... But yeah, that is the end then. I guess that is the end of uh, Berthold. And, um, but... Uh, Albert. Yes, yes, it was Albert. Albert, yes. Um, Albert. I, yeah, I, I didn't know about that legend, so I'm glad we got into that. But um, it is Albert, we're told, that uh, succeeds Berthold. Um, and he obtains... Um, he's the one that gets the official, like, um, uh, Nintendo seal of approval from the Pope to uh, to crusade in officially crusading the baltic it was always just kind of happening yes um, it was uh, and he just sets up this archbishopric of riga and he starts the city of riga in 1201 yeah. yes the my city where i was born and i will live 
well, used to live for 16 years, then moved away for a year, then ah, traveling around. Latvia is small. Fuck it. Um, <clears throat> my city is much more ancient than your whole goddamn yeah, well, country. Yeah. <laughs> Americans. <laughs> well, I believe it, but I was kind of curious, like, how is how is how what is it like to learn the history of Riga, knowing that it was established essentially as the home base for a nightly crusading order known as the Sword Brothers, who would kill? Oh, pretty cool! It was take it was taken it was taken over by it was a free uh-huh. city for a while. It was also a free city in the Holy Roman Empire. Uh, Riga has always been the city of the sneaky bastards. Hmm. It was one of the major cities of Hansa, and when later in history, in the 17th century, the Swedes conquered us, guess what? Which was guess which was the largest and the most important city of the Swedish Empire? Uh, what? Oh, okay. Riga. We were we we had more much more population than Stockholm at the time, uh, because Riga is a city of sneaky bastards, uh, officially. <laughs> Uh, Christmas tree also was invented in Riga. Modern day Christmas tree. Say th- say thank you next Christmas. It's a Latvian tradition. Really, I speak about this in my own episode of about Christmas seventh, uh, I guess, uh, in the Eastern Border. But that's true. First documented case of a decorated Christmas tree ever in Riga. Uh, but yeah, about this one, there are a bunch of legends about this uh, because you know I kind of I kind of find similarities about this because as the historians wrote all this as the chronicle chronicle of Henry and the later historians you know what in the medieval ages they wrote history as a continuation of the bible they interpreted it as as like bible continued like bible version 2 uh so they put literal verses of the bible in the mouths of dramatis persona if i can be allowed to use latin uh, the acting persons, uh, so that the reader, which was another monk or another educated person, could understand the mood better, you know? Mm. If you put a direct quote there, you might not get what he's saying, he might be saying it in different moods, like, you know, you can't get sarcasm on the internet in written form. But if you put a Bible verse with a similar meaning in his mouth, then you can just perfectly understand what's going on. Like, everyone got the Bible references, essentially. Mm. And everyone was living... So that's, that was used very, very often in medieval chronicles. A lot. Insane amounts of. Because it was called exegesis. Like, there's genesis and then there's exegesis. Of, of creation. Because everyone thought the world would end like in two days later. So they were writing this history as a tale of the deeds that happen as of a certain proof that the Bible is true. Because, see, see, look, look, this happened in the Bible, and now there's a similar situation, and it kind of matches here, and you can see the similarities, so the Bible must be true, as we're all going to die tomorrow because Jesus is going to come back right now, instantly. That could wow. very literally. That's an important, that's an important, important part to, yeah. to, to know about when you're studying medieval history. And, and, and in all of these, these things, Albert... Well, um, I'm going to remind you about the Savonarola right now, right? Who was the guy with the biggest hat whose daddy bought him the huge cardinal hat? Uh, yes. The Medici's, right? Yeah, well, um, Bishop Albert could, like, play Spymaster game with the Medici's. Mm. He's known as a dick, but a practical one. <laughs> Nice. Yeah, well, practical dicks often get the furthest ahead in your Crusader Kings game, so I understand that. Um, but yeah, what what I love about well, I, I I'm not gonna say what I love, but I say what I thought was the most interesting about Bishop Albert is that he establishes this first crusading order called the Sword Brothers, and um, who were promptly beaten the fuck <laughs> out of 
by locals. Um, and um, they admit they eventually they eventually start to forcibly convert the local populations. Um, uh, as I understand it, by 1208, they had converted the tribes known as the Kur and the Let to Christianity. Oh God, Kur and the Let, really, <laughs> really, really, America. Is that is that really? incorrect again? You mean. Kuronians and Litigalians. Ah, you see. That's just, this is what we know them as here. Cause, uh, yeah, because, uh, see, Kuronians were, like, basically, you know, then uh, Carlin once spoke about, you know, the and the Kuronians were, like, like Franks in this matter. Uh, Jesus, yeah, will you leave us alone? Oh, great. Do we have a Jesus with a spear here? Can we get a Jesus with a spear? We can get a Jesus with a spear! <laughs> Sold! <laughs> yep. And and and, and then Litigalians, yeah, that's where the nation comes from. But those are Kurs or Kuronians and Litigalians, Kurs and Lets. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Thank you, America. Uh, but but uh, also it was a fun part. But the Albert, you know what's gonna happen next? The Teutonic Order and the Archbishopric of Livonia is gonna form. But you know why Kurs did this? Why they converted? Why these terribly, terribly aggressive people who were just beating the smack out of everyone they could converted to Christianity? Because they were smart people. They actually had 13 kingdoms, 13, like, these tribes there. And and if you play Crusader Kings, there are two tribes there represented. Penitis, and what was the other one? I don't remember the other one, but I know that Penitis is there, and there's another one. Those guys actually became vassals of the Holy Roman Emperor instead submitting to those guys. They kept a lot of their freedoms. They just became fully fucking German noble. Because they thought it was the best part. It wasn't like all of the people were just converted and oppressed and like we have German rulers. Because Koronians were badass enough to just say, uh, yeah, you know what, you come to conquer us, well, we're going to fucking fight you. Or we can become your vassals, much less people are going to die, and we're just going to, you know, stay here, rule over this place like we did. Except, you know, we're kind of your vassals by this point. Thirteen families did this, they're called Kurshu Tjuanini. Uh, I know, oh, right, Penitis and the Tonta God, right, those are the two most famous and the biggest oh, ones. Oh, cool, yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and um, I kind of wanted to take this opportunity to discuss um, the Christian military order that was an invention of the Roman Catholic Church. Because um, if you'll remember, we've discussed this before on the show, and uh, but just to give you a refresher course, the Eastern um, Orthodox Church never participated in any kind of crusade officially because the idea of a quote-unquote holy war is forbidden in Eastern Orthodoxy. So they didn't really ever develop this idea of the crusading... Ho- Wrong! <laughs> I, I have to agree. Okay, it's partially wrong, but um, it's partially wrong. They didn't do it at this time. Do you know when was the only, only, only time in history when Eastern Orthodoxy really stated that there will be a crusade, a holy war going on, and that the enemy must be crushed by all things, and that's a holy war? Oh, when was that? World War ah, Two. Okay. Well, there. <laughs> and that was very hypocritical because Stalin used that in the war. But it technically, technically has been done okay. In technically, I'll, okay. At the time of the First Crusade, I'll say um, there was no idea of a holy war. But Pope Urban II, who called the First Crusade, remember he officially declared that it did it. Thou shalt whole. Thou shalt not kill. 
That only applies to Christians, dude. You could kill all the pagans you want. If you want to kill a non-Christian, go ahead and kill a non-Christian because to quote, to lay down one's life for one's brother is a sign of love. So now it becomes a way of like killing becomes a sacrament now. It's like killing pagans is the same as saying a prayer. Um, so now only do you, not only can you kill with impunity any pagan, but you're actually being forgiven for your sins by p killing pagans. Um, so this is an entirely new philosophy, but one that was exploited by succeeding popes. And um, the first orders um, were actually grew out of um, hospitals. Um, the first orders, such as Templars and the Knights of the Hospital or Hospitallers, were actually um, religious monks who took up arms in order to protect and administer hospital care to crusading people. And they first established their castles and holy orders in and um, places like Accra and Jerusalem and in order to um, in order to kind of just protect and serve the crusader people, I guess you could say. This changed and they officially gained a foothold in I'll say twelve eleven with a couple of things. One, the Order of the Sword Brothers is established by Bishop Albert as a not a protective or an administrative order, but rather a permanent military presence in the Baltics to reinforce his quote missionary work. So we're talking about conversion uh, at the point of a sword here. Uh, God's love we deliver in the form of fully armed knights. Um, and but they this was very practical and they're saying it's kind of like I like the practical dick element of what you were talking about, because rather than relying on levies or mercenaries, we could establish a permanent military force here that would um, kind of be handed down generation to generation. Fathers would teach their sons how to kill pagans. Um, but and the sword brothers were. Oh, and trust me. Pagans were taught how to kill those motherfucking <laughs> sword brothers. I imagine because they'd be fighting each other for quite a while. But the interesting thing is that this would all come and bite Bishop Albert in the ass eventually because these were professional military men. And their ranks were from, you know, say, uh, the lower nobility. We're talking like, you know, well, typically the types of nobility that went on crusade. Second and third sons with no hope of ever inheriting their father's titles would go and kind of try to earn their fortune by capturing a castle or raiding and pillaging um, knights or just making a name for themselves by killing the most pagans, getting up there on the Xbox leaderboard of pagan murder. Um, so, um, but while they did um, swear a devotion... Also orthodox because, yeah, yeah. hey, a pagan, orthodox... All, yeah, all the same uh, by the, uh, all the same uh, by the Fourth Crusade, remember... Because 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 this is funny because like I said, Lethigallians by this time were all fucking Orthodox, and all the thing that they were doing was bashing against Polotsk and the Russian guys, <laughs> and they're like, yeah yeah sure, crusading happens everywhere in this territory. Yeah, fuck that noise. We're we're one. We're Christian too. Uh, we those Russian guys are just coming to take our land. We 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 ain't gonna have any of that shit. Smack smack smack. Right. Um. So I mean so. The order does have its classes of knights, priests, and, you know, administrative, you know, bureau bureaucracies. Um, 
But um, the thing that I found the most interesting is that Bishop Albert, of course, did benefit from having an army at his back when telling you, hey, uh, do kindly um, accept the word of Christ or my army will come and kill you. Um, the uh, Order of the Sword Brothers considered their allegiance to solely be to the Pope in Rome, not Bishop Albert. So um, as the Sword Brothers gain in prominence and become wealthy, of course, through raiding and capturing uh, trade routes and villages, they also become more experienced in fighting these Baltic natives because what they do is they play a little bit of Crusader Kings. And I love this metaphor because they learn eventually to, like I was saying, uh, travel over ice in the winter because it's just way easier to take your heavy horses over ice than mud. They also took advantage of these centuries and millennial old tribal um, conflicts, these tribal um, sort of the hatred, these blood feuds that you were talking about that had existed since time immemorial. And they would basically divide and conquer a lot of these Baltic natives and jump in anytime you want here, Kristaps, because what I understand is what their main strategy was, was they would conquer one small group and then tell them essentially, hey, if you join our army, we'll go kill group X that you've hated. We'll go and wipe them out. What do you say? And that was how they converted more by buying off their tribal rivalries and say their eternal souls. Is that, am I, am I correct in that, uh, Chris? Yeah. Yes, for sure. Because uh, that's exactly because what I hate the most about all of this situation here, okay, is that in the 19th century when our nationalism kind of appeared and everything happened, and that was a good good thing at that point. But the thing is that a lot of people use all of this crusade and everything as sort of some sort of excuse here. You know, by making the people in the Baltics the victims, you're kind of saying, oh no, the evil Germans kind of beat us up and it's terrible. But you're making Latvians and Lithuanians, you're making them weak and kind of pussies. We're not, we're not that. We were just, you know, cunning. We, we saw the odds. We were doing what we could. And we were backstabbing motherfuckers, okay? So it's kind of more honorable to my people to say that, yeah, sure, some of us collaborated. Some of us did what must be done and, and, and did what the shit... Then rather just sitting there and saying, weeping, saying, oh, no, the Germans conquered us. It's so terrible, man. I just can't, I can't do this. Where's my pop's blue ribbon? I only listen to shitty fucking indie uh, <sighs> experimental uh, hip-hop uh, slash indie rock music, whatever. Uh, but, yeah, that's the, po- that's the whole point because our people weren't dumb and it was an overwhelming force because we're understand that we're kind of small tribes. There are just so few of us here, okay? So I can get this. And besides, the second point is that if if not for this forceful conversion, which kind of ended up with also Semigallians going down to Lithuania and whatever, modern historians here consider the fact that we would be just outnumbered. And most likely, we would be eventually conquered by the Russians. And if that would happen, our culture would be just dead. Because Russians and then the Mongols kind of did this whole monocultural thing. But over here, at least for a while, kind of kept, was alive. And up until Peter the Great, which is my personal fucking most hated historical person on the planet Earth, 
Peter the Great is a bastard. Because uh, he really made all this served them stuff through slavery. Up until then, it was like, you know, you have to do some work, you have to pay some taxes. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't much worse than being a peasant in any other country. So it's kind of, uh, kind of good that it turned out. And we weren't stupid about this. We knew that, you know, it was an overwhelming force after all. Because all the Holy Roman Empire and all the Christian world at that time has like so much more manpower and so much more people than we do. So some smart people just adapted there. It's not like we were like mega victims. We were fighting and helping them, like you said, with all these rivalries. We were doing our own thing. It's not like we were dumb. We knew exactly what we were doing, and uh, people were just adapting to the new situations. And right. Stuff. And um, through this, like yeah, like you mentioned, um, we were told that um, with these types of, um, and in some cases, we're told that they even just would pay tribes, like they would just stay out of the battle entirely. Give them enough gold and say, "Hey, here's some weapons and some gold. Go and attack these people, just to kind of stay out of the fighting." Yeah. And so we're told through this strategy, um, eventually the Lives, the Semigallians, the Salonians, um, they all. Oh, it's Salonians. <laughs> Thank you. Those are the Sail people to whom to whose name I in English didn't know. They're, so they're yeah, Salonians in the West. Yes. Um, they they all convert to Catholicism. Um, but this has this is where it starts to bite Bishop Albert in the ass because the Sword Brothers made a deal with Bishop Albert early on that they could keep a third of Bishop Albert's initial holdings and then would constantly claim that they because of that they were owed a third they were owed a third of all Future lands. Basically, they they thought they bought fu- crusading futures, essentially, if they were play, playing the stock market. And as they expanded, they could just keep a third of all that, all, everything they take, basically. A third of all they can carry, a third of all they can conquer is theirs. Uh, the Bishop Albert did not really like this because he is losing influence as the Sword Brothers gain influence. And he is having a harder and harder time dealing with, say, the Russians and the Danes diplomatically because the Russians and the Danes now are starting to say, hey, all these people that were slowing us down, hey, Sword Brothers, hey, we're Christians too. Can we kind of join the party? Um, and, uh, you know, we'll be, you know, fulfilling our crusading duties, the Danes think. Uh, hey, we're, we'll be crusading too. Hey, Pope down there, we're going to go on to crusade too and gain some favor with you. Um, we're going to join up with these sword brothers here. And the sword brothers, more than anything, were told this time, and feel free to correct me again, Chris, is what the sword brothers wanted most, more than anything else, was to conquer Estonia and claim it as their own. Am I am I getting this correct? Because I'm going off some of my English translate. Hey, fuck if I'm Latvian, they can have Estonia all they want. <laughs> well, we're told I'm kind of I'm trying to glean what I can from my English translation of the Chronicle of Henry. Um, uh, and Latvian, it's Indrite Chronicle. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, is that um, because um, they're told um, we're told that um, you know these uh, these people here are. Um, they have finally, um, finally, uh, we're told that um, the Sword Brothers' ascendancy and um, the you know the Danes, with help from the Danes, who have an interest um, both militarily gaining a foothold in this area and, of course, commercially gaining an atel- uh, a, a, a hold in this area, 
they help them bring the Estonians into Catholicism. And um, and this begins um, a, a period of about 10 years of constant warfare for the control of Estonia um, between either the Danes, the Russians, um, the Sword Brothers, Bishop Alberts. I can, okay. I can tell you why. Because uh, I, I really, I can tell you why. Because now what Novgorod is uh, controlling this city called Neva. You might not know the city of Neva. Uh, Novgorod is kind of not uh, exactly close to the trading routes, but the, they control Neva, and that's a nice city. It's kind of a in next to the Baltic Sea. There's everything cool there, and Estonia kind of is almost right next to it. And you, if you control Estonia, then it's easy for you at that time because you know naval range is limited. You can easily just, you know, get all the taxes and uh, compete with those guys. You know what's called Neva today? St. Petersburg. Oh, okay. Because basically, uh, if you control Estonia, that's the northern part of the Baltics, you can easily just, from Estonia as a naval base, you can easily take control of all the ships and just make sure Novgorod doesn't trade a thing. Ah, okay. Interesting. Um, but... I'm 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 sorry. Oh my God! I'm messing up messing up Glenn's story. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm actually, I'm really sorry. You're not messing up my story at all. I mean, this is. I mean, I like that. I, what I like most about this episode so far is that it's an interesting give and take. Because I'm going from sort of the Western point of view, and you're going from the Eastern point of view, and I like how the two can sometimes agree and sometimes clash wildly. I like. I think this is a more interesting take than just a straightforward <laughs> narrative. Um. But um, what I will say about this is that as because you Westerners don't yes, bullshit, yes. All, all, all of our sometimes. all of our decadent capitalist ways have led to the sometimes uh, incongruous uh, narrative of the history. But um, what I'll say in this these ten years, the Christian Catholic territory is expanding in this area in the Baltics, um, whether it's the Sword Brothers or Bishop Albert's um, kind of posse or um, Poland is now um, start, starting to emerge well and ferocious in this um, because all of the, all of this war is starting to arrive on Poland and Hungary's borders. That's how much it's expanding outwardly from this northern Baltic regions we discussed. Um, and um, the uh, the the uh, what? Well, I, I'm sorry. You're going to get mad at me again when I'm talking about they, these these Prussian, as our sources tell us, our American sources, incursions into Polish land, either from a just being displaced. Um, what pagans are left, either leave and start to raid into Poland and Hungary, or they start to try to settle in sort of the uh, the hinterlands. The yeah, semi. Because basically, Semigallians basically said, fuck that noise, and moved yeah. to Lithuania. They're... And uh, Jagiellon was kind of a descendant of them, apparently. You know, the one who formed, uh, who became the king of Poland later, and formed well, the Okay, union. cool. Apparently, because cause they're very related to Zemaishi. Uh -huh. Because Zemaish means Semigallians, just oh, okay. <laughs> So that makes sense, then. So, okay, it's lining up. We're told that, yeah, some of these... Some of these um, pagan uh, Baltic peoples sort of just rather than convert or die, just leave. And they start to either try to settle in the countrysides, the kind of the, the, the outskirts of places like Poland, Hungary and modern day Lithuania. And sometimes they just raid into these territories to, you know, get loot 
into Polish or Hungarian territory. Um, we're told that at this time, the Poles um, call upon the help of a certain Middle Eastern crusading force known as the Order of the Teutonic Knights or the, uh, the, um, the Livonian Order, as it soon becomes called. Um, because... And gentlemen, gentlemen, this is where the story turns really <laughs> yes. fun. Yes, um, we're told that um, in 1226, actually, the um, the Duke of uh, a Duke, a Polish Duke. Oh boy, am I going to screw this up? Um, Conrad Mazowiecki. Um, <laughs> um, ma- Wait, uh, how is it? M a z o w i e c k i. Mazowiecki. Mazowiecki. Yes, um, a Polish duke. Uh, because because you know your 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 W sound is uh, spelled in Polish with the weird uh, crossed oh, okay. L. Your Polish crossed L, you know, is your W sound. Ah, okay. That much I know because I know Russian and the Slavic languages are sort of similar, and I have some very active Polish listeners. Ah, okay. Well, um, so. So this um this happens these these um these these uh Baltic um tribes that have been displaced by all this war are starting to raid into Poland lands a Polish duke this Polish duke um Mazowiecki um is feeling the burn of this and invites a crusading order based in Palestine the Teutonic order um to the area of Kelmno uh on the ri- on the river Vistula Vist- yes Vistula. Vistula. Yes. Yeah, and Kilno. Uh, oh God. Uh, don't bother. It's a Polish <laughs> name. Just, just no one. Don't yeah, Kilno, Kilno, however you want to say that. Um, so he he Kilno. invites he uh, this Polish duke invites the uh, Teutonic Order, uh, soon to change their name to the Livonian Order of the Teutonic Knights. Um, I'll get into why. Um, uh, invites um, uh, Grand Master Hermann von Salza. Um, to uh, bring his knights to Poland, um, and just be like, and the the original idea is, hey, why don't you just come on over here, stay for a couple of years, get these uh Baltic tribes out of my hair, and uh, then you can just uh go back to wherever you came from. Um, it didn't quite work out that way. Um, <laughs> yeah, because because the Zelnik knights decided that you know what, um. There's like this thing which everyone wants, like all this amber, and we still have a ton no. of amber no. here. If you if you'd come here, Glenn, I I would give you an um, amber necklace or amber amber everything, because it's like so abundant. Because apparently it's because of how the Baltic Sea works, so that all the amber just ends up on our coasts. Oh, okay. Well, that 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 makes total sense. So um, in twelve, uh, and uh, let's see here, it's about oh, what did I say? 1226, when the uh, when they first come around and then decide they like it, and then start drinking Poland's beer and pissing with the door open and just walking around in its robe all day, um, because what are you gonna do? Basically, is their rationale. We have a large knight army here, and you're Poland. Are you gonna try to kick us out? Yeah, try it. Um, <laughs> and they did. But later. much later. Yeah, much later. But they did. And they said, and you know what? They fucking succeeded. <laughs> Much later, but around this time, they didn't really have a hold. They were kind of between um, 
a, a rock and a hard place because it's like, well, do you want to tell them to leave? And then these Baltic tribes come in, just, you know, keep sacking us or, you know, take over us entirely. Or maybe they'll get angry and, you know, uh, come after us. But this becomes a moot point because the Teutonic Knights are here to stay officially in the year 1236. When the Sword Brothers have their asses completely handed to them by the Lithuanians in the Battle of Saul. Um, bullshit! <laughs> Man, my sources say that! Oh, But, uh... Your sources? <laughs> um, uh, Battle of Saul, how you call it, is the Battle of Saul, which I spoke oh. earlier. So, Saul means son, or... Saul, if you prefer that way. But it's essentially the Battle of Sun. And like I said, Lithuanians participate in the battle together with Litigallians and Semigallians. And Semigallians were firstly on the Teutonic, Ni- Teutonic Knights' side because they were paid for this. But then they kind of switched sides because, you know, the battle was in the swamp, sort of, or so we think. And then it was kind of, uh, you know, they were kind of like, oh no, fuck it, we're just going to kill those guys. The problem is, your sources mix up Lithuanians with all the Latvian ah. tribes. And the second problem is, we still don't know where this battle <laughs> happened. Because uh, we know the year, right. we know the place, we know the name. But like I said, it either happened in Shauli, Lietuva, which is close to this, and it's close to Latvian border, it could have happened there. And then there's a place called Vatsaule, or just Saule, as you know, the Battle of Saule, who, which is also kind of near to Shauli on the near the Latvian Lithuanian border, but on the Latvian side. Okay. So there are two possible places where this could have happened. There are no clear ideas about where it actually happened because there are theories. Lithuanian side happened Lithuania, Latvian side happened Latvia, whatever. Ah. But Lithuanians <laughs> made it. Okay, no. but we okay. We will say then we know for certain that the Sword Brothers are. We're beaten by, by the, the Baltic, Baltic tribes. tribes and to such a point that they are not able to recover their numbers. What is left of the Sword Brothers merges into the Teutonic Knights, officially forming the Livonian Order of the Teutonic Knights. Um, so they're or the so-called German yes. Order, as they are ah, here. Okay, the German Order of the Teutonic Knights. So the Sword Brothers are never again heard from they you know whoever is still alive and kicking joins the teutonic order um and this is where um i guess this is where I, earlier i alluded to uh, this is not the purview of this this episode we should do it one day this is now th- this is kind of we're sort of heading into the story of alexander nevsky um and the uh and the the 1240s and uh early 1250s where the uh, the the uh, Russians uh, defeat um, the Lavordian Order and their Scandi- their Scandinavian allies in the Battle of Lake Peepsy. <laughs> did I spell? It? Did I did I pronounce that correctly? Peepsy, really, Glenn? <laughs> really, it's, it's Papus. Pe- okay. Lake okay, Papus. Whatever, man. I I'm working off English sources again, so. The the Russians defeat the. See the, the the problem with English people is that you always think that every other language language pronounces the same Latin letters ah. the way you do, like my you in my word my name is for example pronounced like the fucking Romans did it. 
God damn Anglo-Saxons! <laughs> but what the what is it? I'm just I'm just kidding, guys. I, I hope I hope no I hope no. No, one we're just ki- everybody knows. Yeah, because I live in a small country in the middle of nowhere, and I, I I'm I'm just taking I'm just taking my we're, jabs where yeah, I can. We're just we're just rich American nation. I want to I want to kind of visit your place. I think you should, sure. man. We should hang out and uh, and and party in America someday. Um, and you could complain about our shitty beer. Um, but um, but we're told but we're told that. Uh, the the Russians turned back the Livonian Order of the Teutonic Knights at this battle, um, and this sort of, this creates the borders that last, God, pretty much almost up until today, um, the borders between the uh, Germanic Baltic areas and Russia. Um, I don't think they changed a whole lot until around World War Two. Am I correct in that? Well, they. Sort of don't, <laughs> unless you count Lithuania, yeah. because Lithuania rules over... Um, okay, imagine this. At one point, Lithuania was the biggest country in Europe, mm-hmm. way bigger than modern-day France, okay? Uh, that happened later. Lithuania got huge, like humongous. Uh, Polish-Lithuanian Commonwealth, as you spoke in the Siege of Vienna episode back then, it was from the Baltic Sea to the Black Sea. It was a huge blob. Okay? So, uh, modern-day Lithuania is where the ethnic Lithuanians live. That, that's okay. But, uh, yeah, pretty much the borders kind of stayed the same yeah. from this point on. What was the interesting part about this one? Uh, and this is a personal gripe. Because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm half Prussian and the German Prussian. I'm half Prussian, half Jewish. My, my mom's Jewish. So, uh, mom's Jewish, dad's Prussian, sort of, from, from the ethnic sides of things. For the Jews, I'm Jewish. But it doesn't matter, really, because I wasn't raised Jewish. But I, well, I can just... Your mother, your mother is there. Jewish, so ethnically you're Jewish, technically. Yeah, that's... No, no, no. I'm, I'm ethnically Jewish only if the yeah, Jews okay, Yeah, under Jewish law, if your mother's Jewish, that makes you Jewish, correct? Yeah. Well, yeah, my mom's my mom's mom was Jewish, so that makes my mom Jewish, right. so that makes me Jewish. Ah, but I was okay. never raised as a Jew. I, I never. No one cared here. I only found out about this like a few, few, basically few months ago. Uh, I always count everything from my dad's ancestry because that's how I was raised, and that's how culture goes here, and that's ethnic Prussian, with some Latvians mixed in between all of this. So my family lands. I'm a Prussian noble, by standard law. My family lands would be a fucking barony near fucking Königsberg, which is now Kaliningrad, which was given to Russians to 50 years. In, 40, in 1945, they were given the overlordship and the control of the Kaliningrad Oblast for 50 years. Can you spot the problem in this bit. one? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. So that's my primary gripe, but that's, that's, that's just my ancestry problems. But yeah, I don't know. I'm not gonna move to Israel anytime soon because I don't I don't know anything about. Well, that yeah, culture. I imagine it's pretty far removed from uh, Latvia. I imagine. And I, oh no, no wait! The Jews were like really always here. The Jews were a major population of Latvia, like the city of Ludza, where I live in, was established in 1187. By the way, it's the one of the oldest cities in here, much older than Riga, and it always had more Jews than Latvians in this city. All the time. And Jews were always here because Ashkenazi people, oh my God. I, I wrote some parts of this for Daryl Cooper. Uh-huh. You know Daryl from the Martyr Made podcast. Fellow Darkness guy. 
Actually, he got me into podcasting in general and got me to dissolve his community. But yeah, I, I wrote some shit for him, and it's, it's amazing. Jews are a huge part of all this history. And they also are a huge part of the USSR and all this stuff. But yeah, so uh, it's kind of natural, because uh, essentially I'm, I'm your typical, very, very typical Latvian. Half Russian, half German, half Jewish. Russian-Jewish thing, fuck it, yeah, smack together. Because ethnic Latvians, you know... Latvians were artificially made in the 19th century when all of our tribes, all of our very, very separate tribes with separate languages had finally intermingled enough with each other, with Germans, with Russians, with everyone who conquered us. So we kind of decided that, yeah, I, I guess we could kind of call all of ourselves Latvian and we are kind of like common and, and shit. Okay, okay, that, that makes sense. So Latvian is an artificial ethnicity. Huh. By the way, we kind of hold on to it because it, 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 was, it was made in the 19th century. It was first mentioned in the 16th century by a German guy who just didn't know the names of all the tribes. So he just said, ah, fuck it, they're, they're Latvian. <laughs> but our national identity was formed in the 19th century with all this awakening and the understanding that, yeah, we're pretty similar right now. And all these tribes, yeah, that time has passed. So we are all Latvians now, and, you know, this land is Latvia, and this has belonged to Latvians. And Latvians, not in the sense of one nation, but in the sense of all these tribes mixed up. So now we don't have these tribe identities. There are no Koronians, no Letigalians, nothing like that. There are Latvians. Oh, okay. So we are artificial, like Americans, but in a different... Lithuanians are much, much closer, because they're like... Lithuanians got their own power, their own small empire, and they kept their identity, but... Latvians are uh, fucked up people. <laughs> then again, I'm a very patriotic Latvian, for one. Um, yeah. Also, listeners, if you ever want to visit Latvia, uh, beer in our stores costs $1. Beer in pubs costs $3. You can have a nice meal in a restaurant for $5. And I'll get you a place to oh, sleep. Wow. I have had visitors before, so just uh, in case. And I'll, I'll, I'll get you. Dude, dude, dude. You must come here. Uh, we have a fucking KGB. Oh, museum. man, that'd be awesome. A KGB museum, like the central Latvian KGB building got like, it's a museum now and you can just walk through in a tour throughout how they kept the prisoners, interrogation rooms, all the documents, everything. You can see how KGB operated. Oh, that's amazing. The tour guide's kind of shit because he speaks terrible, terrible English, but I can just, just adjust this. Uh, yeah, tour, tourism guide promotion for Latvia. Yeah, I'm a shitty podcast. Yeah, you, you, so need to, you need to work for the Chamber of Commerce over there. Uh, um, but... Uh, Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. I guess I'll say, I'll say, I'll say to continue our story of the ascendancy of the Teutonic Knights is that um, 
they really start to get shitty here because, I mean, remember, they are acting after this sort of thing. They start to act under, they get an actual papal seal of approval. They get the Nintendo seal of, of, of approval quality. They get the good housekeeping. The Pope, the Pope gives them the, the cool Pope hat. gives them the cool hat that they turn backwards and immediately decide they are going to rule the school because that order includes um, the the permission to Christianize the pagan lands and the manner to which they see fit. So now they they consider that however they behave, they they are under not only papal authority but have the approval of God himself and their first act of christianization involves the genocide of the prussians um (laughs) because why not why not just remove them completely from the historical record um we're told that um that um well these prussians that we're told these ethnic prussians that were that you mentioned earlier no longer exist they do control that amber trade hmm and um and they uh, eliminate them almost entirely. Um, so much so that the any that remained alive for the practical purposes of just not completely eliminating the population um, were not allowed to. Yeah, but you know what? You know what? But the Prussians, but the Prussians. That was the most amazing part about all of this. When you speak of the Prussians, I have a friend here who's a linguist. Does you know? <clears throat> I have friends in the academia. Anyways, uh, he's kind of a. Weird guy, because he's a neo-Nazi. Let's start with that one. Uh, weird friends, Latvia. Don't. I'm not a neo-Nazi, okay? I just have weird friends. I have uh, ultra-pro-Potinist friends as well. I don't pick my friends. Don't have that many people here in Latvia. Anyways, this guy who's a neo-Nazi, but he's in a very weird way a neo-Nazi because he hates everyone who's not Prussian, mm-hmm. including me. But the thing that he has done, he has gotten a PhD in philology, and he is reconstructing the old Prussian language by comparison to that, to Latvian, Lithuanian. He's done a really good job at that. He'd be a great guy if he wouldn't be a neo-Nazi, you know? <laughs> yeah, I, I can imagine that is true. Um, but um, what we're told is that um, the story that comes down to us is that not only do the Teutonic Knights um, eliminate almost all of the ethnically uh, Prussian people, they uh, any Prussians that they allow to live and remain in the area are forbidden by law to marry each other so that no Prussian children would be born, just completely eliminating them in a, in a generation or so. Um, so... so I, Yay, genocide! <laughs> so Woo-hoo! when the actual Prussia was established in the 19th century, I believe it was, or the 18th century, um, when was Prussia officially? I know it, it was. I, I guess. I, I guess it was 18th. I, I, I know that. Uh, oh God, I'm not that great. I think it was 18th in the 18th century. century yeah, when the 18th century, when the actual Prussia. nation of Prussia was established. When Brandenburg got when, when when the Brandenburg got the personal union over the territories ruled by the Teutonic Order, and then they formed a personal union, and then they united them under the one king, and then they became the king in Prussia, not of Prussia, in but Prussia, in right. Prussia. So when the actual nation of Prussia was founded some time later, there were actually no actual Prussians in Prussia. It was uh, the majority uh, German by that time, like you were saying, and um, there is hard. And I come from those people, which is <laughs> fucked up. And 
There is pretty much, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but from my sources, there is no remaining evidence of the ancient Prussian, the original Prussian language. Um, if, if not in other. Okay. No, there are. Like I said. All right, all right, all right. Well, there are. Uh, like I said, this neo-Nazi guy is reconstructing oh. it. He's doing a very oh, okay. great job. Like I said, he'd be a great dude if he wasn't a fucking right. neo-Nazi. But then again, he doesn't hate the Jews. He doesn't hate the black people. He mostly is a neo-Nazi against Germans. Huh. Okay. Because, <laughs> you know, uh, okay, a neo-Nazi might be... I'm calling him neo-Nazi because this is the closest term I can find. Because he hates Germans with passion. He hates Western Europe with passion. He also hates Russia with passion. Huh. Okay. <laughs> it's an America okay. too. Well, that's just a guy who's yeah. Cuz cuz uh that it's uh that that that's how Latvian political spectrum works. I, we I don't even have a name for him. He doesn't even hate Jews or gay people or or or, or he isn't a racist. He just hates Western Europe and Russia okay. at the same time. <laughs> Terribly. Okay. But um Here's, I guess, if you have nothing more to add to this kind of founding of the Teutonic Order, I'll say where things start to get a little weird um, is in the early 14th century when the Teutonic Knights start capturing Polish cities. And why is this a problem? Well, Poland is a Roman Catholic country. Um, so, <laughs> but... That doesn't stop the Livonian... Poland is a country with the most shrewd people on the internet. Oh, really? <laughs> I mean, have you played Dota, man? Have you really played... Have you played no, Dota I once? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you, you log on... You log on to... Like, I, I know that in America... The, in America, you log on to servers and you get a bunch of Brazilians. No offense to Brazilian listeners, of course. I, I'm sure you're not the guys who do this. But essentially, if you log on to the Eastern European servers, you get Poland people there because they have really super fast internet like we do, but they only speak Polish. So only thing you can hear from them is kurva, kurva, viperdalai, kurva. <laughs> wow. That's, that's it. Wow. But um, but um, what we're told that the Teutonic Knights throughout the years of 1308 and 1309... I'm, I'm fucking up your head. <laughs> I know, so man. It's the, listen, I don't know if you've heard this before, but the Carlin, there are no rules. We can talk for as long as we want about whatever we want as long as we kind of talk about the subject. Um, so, but I will say that the Teutonic Knights in 1308 and 1309, um, and I'm going to fuck up all these pronunciations, capture Pombros, Kelmno, Kujava, Dobrzin and Kaliz. Dobrzin and Kaliz. Um, so, and every time they capture... Two out of ten, what the time? But what... But, but okay, okay, okay. Actually, it was, it was pretty good, because those are... Uh, they captured only the cities with the simply, simply yeah, pronounceable names. Yeah, with those. Um, but... Um, uh, I mean, I mean, try to pronounce Lee. Nah. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't even try. Um... And um, but we're told that um, in 1308, when they enter the city of Dansk, um, Dan- Dansk, Dansk, yes, it's Dansk, Gdansk. Gdansk. Yeah. Now this shit yeah. is important. It's Gdansk. Gdansk. When they when they, ca- it's yes. G and D, G and D together. When they Gdansk. when they capture Gdansk, 
They are. They enter the city singing. You you can't you can't say the the soft. No, I can't. <laughs> God, it's it's in Spanish, man. Spanish have the same same letter. It's like, yeah, you mean like yeah, like Gdansk, Gdansk, El Nino, El Nino, Okay, I grew up speaking. Okay, yeah, yeah, you got it. I grew up speaking Spanish, so yeah, I can kind of understand that that soft that rolling in, but um. Okay, but they, they they enter the city singing Jesu Cristo Salvatore Mundi, um, uh, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the World in Latin, and kill all of the citizens, which number in about ten thousand, and quite co- quite coincidentally replace them with German citizens. Um, Save the world, murdering <laughs> yes. people. Remember, but uh, they they have orders from the Pope. Which includes being able to attack Catholics. This seems to fly in the face of the that original Pope Urban II, who said that killing was okay as long as you were killing non-Christians. But now they are killing Catholic Christians. But I guess they could justify it by saying that they were establishing a beachhead because their next target is the last remaining pagan nation in Europe, Lithuania. And oh, um, so we're told that they establish a fort known as Malbork, um, and they are going to use this throughout the remainder of the 13th century to attack Lithuanian Lithuania, which is the last, I guess you could say, the last kind of the last cup of water in the desert because they are the last officially pagan. Uh, state they are um i'm sure paganism in some form or another is still kicking around in secret um the religion is officially called kind of uh, uh which by the way crusader kings (laughs) fuck up because uh uh, this is my gripe uh, because this is relevant because uh you know in crusader kings you kind of can't play pagans right now with the old old gods expansion but they kind of lump lithuanian and latin religion Territorially, Latino Lithuanian religion in the same bunch. They call it all Romuva. And they mix up our gods. For example, Perkuns and Perkunas is the same god. And and they mix up all the fucking names and all the fucking territories. You know why? Because Crusader Kings were made by Swedes. And the provincial the provincial the, the provincial divisions they use in the game were the ones used by the time when the Swedes ruled over Livonia. Oh, okay. You're welcome. The 800 provincial divisions you see are actually from the 1700s. Oh. 16-somethings. 17, 17th century. Oh, stupid. But yeah. Uh, crazy provincialism. I love Crusader Kings, but seriously... If you want to learn something, about, if if you take everything that's written there as really historically accurate, then it's accurate in Scandinavia and in the more important countries. If you're going to the Arabs or down in the Eastern Europe, uh, oh god, well, they really? Uh, I mean, yeah. Well, then again, we don't exist for the most yeah. of the planet. So it's, well, it's, I mean, cool. I guess I guess you have to do your best guess when you get into like the stepland religions and stuff like that that they try to do. Um, but uh. Yeah, about yeah. the same here. Yeah. Yeah. So, so um, 
Yeah, but I mean, nothing as bad as vanilla Rome total war with the Bronze Age Macedonian Egyptians. Um, you mean the second? Rome oh, do they do that total again? War. Because I remember in right. vanilla Rome total war, yeah, they did. Um, they did. See, uh, about, about the Rome Total War, I, I, ha- I actually haven't played the original well, and, Rome Total War. I have only played the Shogun, and I haven't played the well, Medieval 2. And then I've played the Rome 2, and Rome 2 was abysmal. Uh, that, that, well, Rome, the, the original Rome Total War is terrible because the, um, the, the Ptolemaic kingdoms are Bronze Age Egyptians um, and not Macedonian Greeks. Wow. Um, it's... I have a question, but is this where the uh, your Europa Barbariorum comes uh, from? Yeah, Europa Bar. Yeah, that, it was, it's a um, it's a mod. It's an unofficial mod that 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 makes it. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, mm. I I I played I played Medieval too because it had the Warhammer mm-hmm. Fantasy mod, and I'm a huge that dwarfs fan, so I play that one. But I should really check that one out because uh, I want to play. Oh Rome. yeah, yeah. Don't, don't 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 play Rome don't play the original really. Rome Total War. Play the Europa Barbarium mod, and. Yeah, yeah, I'm it's one hundred percent historically accurate, and it is fucking awesome. I have, I, I, I listened, I listened yeah. to you when you spoke about like fucking elephants invading yes. Britain. <laughs> that was that's my that was my that was my Man. crowning achievement when I took elephants from the kingdom of Bactria into Britain. <laughs> Dude, if you play Crusader Kings, I, I, I don't know about that much, bro. I'm, I'm a Paradox fan. I played their grand strategy games more, and Fallout, uh-huh. and my and XCOM because XCOM is my all time favorite game, the original uh-huh. one. It's the best video game on planet Earth. But if you play Crusader Kings, take the old gods starting date. We're, we're like 800s. Not, not the very earliest one, but the 800s were where it's kind of the old gods starting date. Pick a Coronian nation. Either Penitius or Tonta God. Form Vendish Empire. I challenge you. Which is kind of stupid because Vends are Western Slavs. They have nothing to do with Bolts. Even though we have a city called Venden in German, which is now Cesis, Vans or Vans are Western Slavs, which are not Balts, but they're all including into this titular empire. But yeah, the Coronians raid, pillage, wage war, form Lithuania, form Vendish Empire, and then do what I did, play genetic roulette. I had Sunset Invasion installed, so I turned my Litigallian culture Vendish Empire, I got a ruler who was Ethiopian, African, black, Coptic, Litigallian culture. And when the Aztecs arrived, because I played with the Sunset Invasion, I shifted that shit so that I had an Aztec, Aztec Litigallian ruler wow. who was Coptic. That's amazing. Oh God, your your listeners, our listeners. I'm sorry. I, I still kind of feel like a fucking guest here. I mean, Andrew and Anna ordered offered me to fucking unionize. <laughs> what am I? Some sort of. <clears throat> I, I want to say this. I am not one of those people. I'm of Prussian nobility. I do not unionize. You're with you're you're a co-host, man. They're the plebs. You could just order them slaughtered in the streets. Um. Oh no, I I would like I would like to I would like to order Andrew around a bit more with, with anything, but but he's like really lazy with this one. <laughs> uh, yes, yes. Oh, I'm, I'm just kidding. No, we he's love, a great guy. Yeah, we love him. We just we just make fun of him because he's, he's like, like eighteen, a, and we we love we love Anna. She's she's hilarious and wonderful. Um, but uh, we're still their, we're their bosses. Though. Yeah, we, 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 um, uh, so I get to bo- I get to be yeah, the boss of someone. Yeah, yeah, you totally do. 
But I mean, <laughs> the Lithuanian struggle. What? What? Uh, I have to go. Oh God! See, this is the Carlin. I get to do this. I'm going to backtrack a little bit and say the Lithuanian struggle with the Teutonic Order had been going on since the Teutonic Order had captured the Lithuanian city of Klaipeda. Oh God, no! <laughs> uh, it's not an E. It's an okay. Imagine that in place of that E, there's an A, and it's uh, a long Klai- A. Klaipeda. Pada, Klaipeda. Klaipada. But um, yes. so this officially, this kind of really hamstrings Lithuania because this is the, that that city is their only way route toward the uh, the the sea sea trading. Yep. So yep. Um, this really hamstrings them to the point that they're economically they're crippled. And I was surprised to learn that Lithuania didn't even get this city back until the 20th century. Um, nope. they just didn't have it anymore, and you know that, um, that could explain a lot of their, you know, the troubles they've had. Um, with uh, but man, oh man, I didn't even know. But yeah, they, um, and we're told in 1253, um, Duke Minda 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 um. This yes, the... actually, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yes. I'll just go with you. Just let me go on. I'm dying here. And then, um, he actually bends the knee as early as 1253 and accepts Christianity. The only holdout we're told is Samogitia. Um, Samogitia or Zemgitia, which is also the same thing as Zemgale. Uh, you know, though Zemaitia, Samogitia, Semigalia, same thing, same tribe, different modern countries, very related. But um, I guess I guess the Lithuanians had long memories of this and um, hated this duke for doing this. And he is assassinated in 1263 and Lithuania officially reverts to the pagan faith. Um, so, And then it becomes a grand duchy because uh, in Christian Europe, you can only be a king if you're Christian. Oh, okay. So Lithuanians had a kingdom at that one point when he converted. It was a kingdom of Lithuania. But then you can't be a king officially, according to the Pope and the beliefs of Christian Europe, if you're not a Christian. So that's why. And it also applies to, like, uh, orthodoxy. So all of those guys, independent, Rykovich family, small countries in, in Russian territory, they're just knyazistas or, or knyazdoms, but they're essentially duchies. And if you get to the point where you kind of should be called a king, you're not a king, you're just a grand duke. So this is where grand duke of Lithuania oh, comes okay. from. Because they reversed back to paganism, so they couldn't be kings. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, so, but this, this, but, so they revert, they revert officially to a grand, yeah, a grand duchy, a grand duke. And, but this is kind of a double-edged sword because now, okay, you're officially pagan, now you're fair game, we're in the 14th century, so remember that um, crusading in the East is pretty much off. Nobody has the stomach for it anymore. France and England are in the embroiled in what would become the Hundred Years' War, so they don't really care to crusade. Nobody else really has the stomach for it. But if you do want to... Except, except the Spanish. The Spanish. Yes, they are crusading still, and the Reconquista, see again, are... Um, are uh, 
our our Muslim Spain series. Um, that's a crusade that are going on in North Africa and. Um, Quote crusade yeah. unquote. That is their crusade, yeah. yes. Um, but um, but if you want to get the Pope's favor, if you want to absolve those sins, if you want to rape, loot, and pillage to your heart's content while earning favor with God, you could join the Lithuanian Crusades. And we're told that this brought um, mercenary second third sons uh, you know deposed nobility lesser nobility minor nobility um, mi- lesser, lesser Bonaparte, Bonaparte if you will this brought people from all corners of Europe far flung as France England Luxembourg Austria Hungary um, they would arrive dude we should we should do a history oh, of Luxembourg yeah, we should. at That's one point or, or, or Liechtenstein or I really want to do a history of one of those like Really tiny countries. I mean, we can't do Andorra because uh, that that guy from Winterberg was failing. Oh, okay. did it already. Because we, we were still at war in Latvia with Andorra until 1920 up to 1992, officially, which is crazy. Didn't happen. Any warfare didn't happen, but they just declared war of us as an act of fun, and it was never canceled. But we should do one of these micro-nations because I don't know anything about Liechtenstein. Yeah, what even like, yeah. What, 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 what's up with those guys? <laughs> we should, yeah, let's do it. Yeah, we could do it. We could bring that back. Um, um, but we're told that uh, you know these these well armed mercenaries and knights and you know lesser knights trying to make their fortune would come every year to participate. It was like going to summer camp, basically. It was like, um, you know, hey, uh, for my vacation this year, I'm going to go and crusade in Lithuania. Um, and since, and if you were not uh, ethnically German, we're told, you could not officially be a Teutonic Knight, but you could essentially get your ribbon for participation. You were, you were officially a bro of the Teutonic Knight, but you could never be a Teutonic Knight. But um, we are told that the Lithuanians resisted hard for two hundred years. They were able to resist, um, almost about um, these. The- look, look. I'm not saying that we are the most badass nation on the planet Earth, but we are the most badass nation on the planet Earth. Baltic tribes are, like, winners. <laughs> like, Coronians adapted, Lithuanians fought back. You know, man, I'm just, I'm just saying, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Well, I'm just kidding, man. Uh, but but, but it's, kind of, it's, kind of a, it's kind of one of the few things where we kind of take pride because we are, like, very, very, very small countries. And when you sp- talk about Lithuanians fighting mm-hmm. back... What you have to understand is that Lithuania got her huge territories later, after this ended. Lithuania became the massive Poland-Lithuanian Commonwealth and everything a bit later. At that point, Lithuania doesn't have the manpower of the Holy Roman Empire. It doesn't have the resources. Uh, they're not Christians. They, they, they really are kind of backwards in, in sort of technology even. Those guys are fighting tooth and nail they're using terrain to their advantage they're using every dirty fighting trick in the book when when you're just saying when the western sources say oh we they they fought back they don't get this uh, because right now there are 1.9 million people in latvia and 2.5 or 2.6 million people in lithuania and that's today modern day to the scale Imagine if uh, Lithuania fighting back for 200 years 
would be against all these forces is about the same as if United States would decide to invade, I don't know, Guatemala or Honduras or, or uh, Panama or, uh, I don't know, some, of, some other, or Belgium, okay? Now imagine Belgium fighting back the United States for two fucking hundred years. Oh yeah, that's 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 what it is. I mean, and to do that, they had to do they had to resort to what would later be known as guerrilla tactics. You know, um, you know, hit and run type raids. Um, because, like I said, they had they had a distinct technological disadvantage. They didn't have the the technology or the money to afford the um, the armor, say that the that the Teutonic Knights did. This is the time where plate is becoming a thing. Um, this is a time where um, they had large armored horses and armored knights, um, large cavalry charges. They had to use that terrain, that forested terrain, to, to their advantage and, pre- and prevent the Teutons and all these other Western European knights from doing their cavalry charges. Um, they had to use light horse and positively at this time ancient combat tactics like, you know, throwing javelins. Also, also remember, Mongols never conquered the Baltics, <laughs> ever. <laughs> Or Scandinavia, because Scandinavia was too cold, Baltics. Yeah, fuck your horses, man. Horses don't mean shit in here. Right, so you could have light troops, lightly armored troops, lightly armed and armored troops, like um, essentially what they what we would call today skirmishers. Um, yeah, because you yeah. enter the forest, and then there's a, there's a forest which is mixed with a swamp, because we're all next right. to the sea. Because... Uh, I mentioned this in our conversations in Lester Bonaparte's, but there's this, this beautiful, beautiful, beautiful saying, really, which means, which, which states that in Europe, 100 miles is a long way. In America, 100 years is a long time. Mm-hmm. Now, think about it, because we are, Lithuania is just, I don't know, modern-day Lithuania is, like, smaller than most states in the U.S., Okay, so when you're talking about this Baltic area, imagine that you would be talking about, I don't know, New England. All of this is happening in fucking New England, okay? As far as I get it, uh, of the distances. So this is a very, very tightly, tightly packed area with population and everything there. And you enter there, and there are just some, some few cities around, because Klaipada by that time it isn't that big. The only city at that moment which is kind of important, is Riga. Then there is Tallinn, Reval by the time. But now Reval was Tartu, but still Tallinn is also somewhat, but Tallinn is small and shitty in comparison, but Riga is the big, big city. So imagine that you have three states and you have one actually important city in between them. Wow. And everything else is fucking forested. So I'm, I'm giving you this mental image here that... Think about that, that they just go to New England, and the climate is kind of similar to that one. Swamps and forests everywhere. What, what horses? What advantages there? You have technological advantage, numerical advantage, everything. But at one point, it stops mattering when you just walk into the forest, and then you find out that the forest is actually a swamp and the forest together. Mm. And you can't see shit. And they're shooting at you. Well, eventually, eventually, they are overcome... But they're overcome because, you know what, attrition warfare. We couldn't pull off attrition warfare at all because, because of the population sizes. Because, like I said, all of the Baltics, Estonia, Lithuania, Latvia together, 
Like, Latvia is the size of West Virginia, and we're in the middle. We're just, you know, three West Virginias, essentially. Imagine three West Virginias, give or take, I don't know, something. Three West Virginias plus, I don't know, some, some small state. Rhode Island, fuck it. Okay? That's what we're talking about. Latvia is approximately West Virginia in everything. So, imagine all of the other United States of America fighting that, too. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of this Carlin image, which 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 doesn't really show up in the written sources about the fact when when they say some people fought back and something. At one point, you just have to be pragmatical. You have to you have to let it let it go. You know you can't win a war of attrition. You know you can't do it. So when do you stop? When do you stop fighting? When you decide that enough's enough? Okay, you can do insane amount of damage you literally can't be beaten in battle but if every year your youth dies out if every year you lose some people and you lose them and you lose them you lose them and your natural growth is way smaller than that of your enemy even that you kill a lot of them but it doesn't matter and they have better technology and they will come and they will come again and again and again because of this pope and this fanaticism I don't know. I kind of understand the Coronians who kind of gave in, although they were bloodthirsty. Because at one point, you just have to, have to do it. It's some sort of inevitability, I think. And I've gotten here to a point where I speak philosophical history, or historical philosoph- philosophy at one point. But I think it's kind of important, and this is Carlin, so uh, don't hate me. No, yeah. no, I, no I, that, 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 I think that perfectly sums it up, because eventually you just... You have to consider as a king or grand duchy, however you want to call him at the time, you have to consider that, you know, what comes along with war? We're not just fighting battles in a vacuum. What comes along with war? Famine, disease, um, you know, loss of natural resources. The economy is shattered. Um, how long? How long? It's not just the battles themselves. It's also what the battles bring. So at a certain time, like you said, you just have to consider preserving your your your, your people, and um, this is what the um, this is what we decide here. Um, Grand Duke of Lithuania, Vladislav, um, Vladislav Jogaila Jogaila. <laughs> oh God, no, no, man, Glenn, yes. Glenn, 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 you're gonna hate me for this, but this yeah. guy. Now, this guy, this is the important guy, because from his dynasty, the Commonwealth of Poland Lithuania was formed. This guy was the guy who saved Christianity from Islam, and I'm using that term because it pisses you off. <laughs> it's Jagelajon. Vladislav Jagolaya. Jagelajon. It's okay, it's, it's second part uh, is Lion. Jagelajon. The first part is Jagelajon. Jagelajon. Yes, Vladi- Vladislav in Yagolaya. All right, Yagolayon. Are you Lion. saying? No, that's it's interesting. Lion. Are you saying because his, his um, are you saying that uh, his line is what leads to say like Vlad Tepes? Um, no, no, his line is the one who kind of got the king, who, the third of Yagolayon. I mean, uh, the third of Yagolayons. I guess uh, okay, Yagolayon the third became in the. One four four something. Uh, don't remember, don't remember the precise year. He formed that one. Jagalin is extremely important. Also, his name in Lithuanian is Jagailis, mm-hmm. which is even different than the proper English word, which is Jagalion. 
Jagelion, Jag I, 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 I would pronounce it Jagelion, because it's all fucking wrong, because it's Jagailis. Mm-hmm. And Gailis means cock, like rooster in um, English. So essentially his surname means the huge cock. <laughs> That's not bad. <laughs> I wouldn't mind that. I wouldn't mind it's that. It's not bad, yeah. Um, well, it's not, it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of Jagelion puts the emphasis on the uh-huh. rooster part. At least in Latvian, Lithuania is very similar. I'm not an expert on that one, but he's like that's the national fucking hero of Lithuanian nation, man. He's considered to be their their George Washington. Mm. Okay, I can imagine. So, yeah, well, I understand that. So it's like it's like um, I, I can understand you not pronouncing other things, but. Uh, <laughs> It's like it's like you know he's like the Genghis Khan of Mongols except for Lithuania, right. like George well, Washington. I, I mean, if, if I, yeah. So that's super important. We don't. At this I guess. Point. I guess what I could say is my whole. I'm I'm sorry for doing this, but I just I'm just I'm just no no. I understand. I mean, I, I I guess my job on the show is I'm jo- I guess my job on the show is to explain the the feel of 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 these things, how I understand them. And I'm going to continue that on the regular shows, too, in the future, I suppose, because uh, I, I, I've got the qualifications. Well, I, appre- I appreciate that. Yeah. But, but I'm, I'm really shitty at, I'm really shitty at the, at the, I'm really shitty at the chronological stuff, actually, because uh, I kind of, I, I'm more interested into what things mean than rather when things happened exactly. So I am shit at chronology, but I can give a pretty good explanation at, at, at how I think, why things happen right. and all that stuff. Hey, wow, we're working on our show while we're working on our show. <laughs> it's it's the Carlin, baby. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I I think that why my pronunciation is so terrible is because in America, we don't learn this shit in school. So I had to just read books and try to sound it out myself, you know. So when I can't pronounce things, I it's because I, I nev- no one ever taught me how to pronounce it. Um, so that's why I have... No, no, it's okay. It's okay, because... Uh, I'm I'm sorry about you know mm. I I I really uh, I pronounce the I I still can't imagine how the name Colonel, which is disgusting to me because it okay. should be Colonel. I pronounce it as Colonel. It has an L in it. There are no R's in well, the yeah, name. No, if you really want to dissect English, yeah. English makes no sense. And, and people have because people have like my listeners in the Eastern border because there are some words which I just haven't heard pronounced ever. Which is like you with these things, so I'm just like I'm, I'm seeing colonel, so I'm pronouncing right. colonel, and then they say, "No, it's colonel." Right. Where the fuck did I the R I come from, no you guys? English is weird like that. My least favorite is that C O M B is comb, but B O M B is bomb. <laughs> so why isn't it? Bomb and calm are comb and boom. I have no idea, but um. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a magical thing uh, about Latvian. We have no silent uh, letters. We just don't have them. We pronounce every letter of every word. We have zero silent letters, and uh, that makes your words letter. Except I pronounce the bomb. I pronounce bomb as bomb by saying the B sound. And all these little quirks where you kind of don't accent the B part mm. at the end and all these things. Those are mm. difficult for me. Because we have no silent letters. We pronounce every letter of the word. Then again, Latvian has 33 letters, not 26. Ah. We use the same alphabet, but we have a longer A, mm. A, 
a, we have longer e, 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 and uh, e is just the e is what you would pronounce as i, because that's e on e. Those are oh. i sounds, longer and shorter. And we have softer letters like s and sh. Like sh is what you would say like s. Like sh is s with the thingy. So um, we have exact things written out as you should pronounce them as written. And for one, one interesting thing is that because of this, because of how we pronounce words in Latvian, and I think that pretty much holds for Lithuanian as well. I don't know Lithuanian, but I know it's a Baltic language, so it works the same way. Um, for example, what's your surname? Uh, Gibbs. Oh yeah, yours your is really easy and stupid <laughs> in that case. Oh god damn it. Gibbs is a pretty Latvian one. You'd be Glenn's Gibbs uh-huh. in Latvian. You have to add an S at the end. I'm sorry. You're a male. You have an S at the end of your name. All male names end with my, an my S. Name, yeah, my name is... Period. I think that might be because uh, my name is uh, of Germanic origin, I've learned. So uh, I think that's where the Gibbs is there. Yeah. If I was from... If I, if I was from... No, because, no your, 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 your name wouldn't be Glenn. You'd be yeah, Glenn. Yeah. Gibbs. Glenn's. Yeah. If Glenn's I was um Gibbs. yeah if I was because, if I was from because, S because if like I a, was from England if, if my name was of English origin it would be just Gibb um I've learned so but um, if I was from England but uh, Gibbs is the Germanic uh I guess is what what I've been told by my grandma who studies this stuff but but um yeah, I know. but uh, I'm I'm a stupid I'm a stupid nerd uh, I love history I love linguistics I love maths. <laughs> I love maths and I love econo- economics and politics. I, I just I just can't do this. I'm listeners. When I have fun, when I'm relaxing from my history stuff, because history stuff is my job right now. I'm watching math videos. I'm watching Riemann's. I'm watching Riemann's zeta function explanations on YouTube. I'm calculating. Uh, I'm calculating the approximate sums and analytical functions of uh, divergent sums. Because, Glenn, do you know that 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 until infinity, what do you think that that adds up? Um, I have, I, I'm terrible at math. I have no idea. Tell me. If you do some certain, if you do some certain tricks with it, because there was this uh, Indian mathematician, Ramanujan, he was a genius, and he just decided that, you know what, in normal, normal maths on our planet Earth, that would just diverge and blow up to infinity. But you know what, we have these functions, and we have imaginary numbers, and we can, like, do some analytics with them, and we can kind of, using analytical continuation by taking a sum that kind of converges to a point, like 1 plus 1 half plus 1 fourth, and stuff like that, which converges to 2. I think so. Uh, I'm, I'm doing this over my head. Essentially, he came up with a number. 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 up to infinity adds up to minus 1 twelfth. Hmm. And you know what's the fun what's part? You can use this in physics, and it works. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't know that. Uh, kinda, it's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah. So it's, it's, just, it's just... Okay. Oh, my God. Yeah, I guess it, it's a complex issue. Just... I'm a nerd. I'm a terrible nerd. I, I have a terribly, terribly beautiful girlfriend, though. I'm, I'm happy about that one. But I'm just a nerd, and, and uh, history at one point just, just, do st- just, just do silly things. Oh, my God. Thank God this is the following <laughs> episode, because I can just ramble about mathematics and all sorts of shit. Oh, my God. My listeners are going to hate me as well. 
I just, because I, you know, this is the second episode I recorded today. Recorded just, just mine beforehand. Uh, Glenn, listen I do, to I'm, that one. I'm a listener, man. I will, uh, I will you listen. will learn. Oh, well, as, as, uh, in one part, I just kind of kind of was listening to all of this. Uh, no, what we're talking about here at the end, you know, Teutonic Knights and Lithuania and everything, it kind of meshes up. And as you can see from this episode, this area, since ever, since ever the Pope decided that, hey, yeah, let's let's get that temper. It's going to be very nice. So let's go conquer these guys. We've been under constant war forever. Like, forever. And and that has changed our way of thinking. And, and my latest episode is about the childhood in the USSR and how it actually was good. And we had all these free stuff and we just made bombs from everything. I remember blowing up carbide <laughs> next to the water. Because I know, because I knew chemistry, because of clubs. Oh my God, I've gone into so many tangents. Oh, it's okay. It's glad. okay. We'll just say. <laughs> See, that is that is which is which is by the way actually the one of the weirdest things. Latvians have a lot of common with Canadians, a lot. We apologize all the time and we feel terrible about ourselves all the fucking time. And for example, Lithuania, which you talked about, that's below Latvia, but you know, same guys essentially. We we're similar, okay. We're just like, I don't know, um, Texans and people from Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Okay? They're, they're similar, but not the same. So that's Latvia, Lithuania. Um, Lithuanians have the highest per capita suicide rate of the planet Earth. At, according to statistics. According to statistics, Latvian women are the most prettiest in the world. Seriously, according to statistics uh, on the polls on the internet of huge, huge numbers. Lithuanians, most suicides. Latvian women, most beautiful. And at the same time, Latvians have less suicides per capita than Lithuanians, but we are the most depressed people on the planet Earth. We're the saddest people. We have the prettiest women and we're the saddest people. This, dear listeners, is what you get... When fucking everyone wants to come to your place and take your fucking amber. <laughs> I guess so. Wow, yeah, I didn't, I didn't understand. Wow, that's that's pretty cool, man. Um, but I so I guess to yeah to get over this amber here. Um, we are told that yeah. Um, I don't even remember where we were. Oh yeah, okay. The Grand Duke of Lithuania marries the Queen of Poland, and uh, um. And and through this gains the Polish throne. He becomes king of Poland. Um, he he. But in this union, the Poland somehow ends on <laughs> top. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. He because yeah, the, the, the Grand Duke of Lithuania, like you were saying, in order to become a king, he must convert. So he be, he converts to Christianity, and the last um the last pagan European country, Lithuania, in thirteen eighty seven. Um, uh, becomes the the Commonwealth of Poland Lithuania a Christian state. Uh, I uh, oh god, it sort <laughs> of <laughs> it becomes a Christian state, but it's not the Commonwealth just yet. Just yeah, yet. well, it's gonna we're getting there. We're getting it's, there. Yeah, it's it's kind of you know. Look, Europe Universalis for a starting point, the Battle of Varna, the, Otto- the, the battle against Ottomans and everything, um, 1444, November. 
It was complicated then, okay? It, they were kind of a state and kind of weren't, because as much as the goddamn physicists and mathematicians want to yell at us, people who do history, for not being exact and, ho, 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 this is not a hard science, you should know this. You know what? Fuck that noise. Um, at one point... People just don't work like that, and states don't work like that, and it makes no sense. Because if you... you can look at this date, which, which Glenn just said, as the beginning of the Commonwealth, of course. But if you look at some other documents, and if you look at how the things operate, and if you look at some other data and how everything worked, then you don't come to the Commonwealth, at least, and we... at least until the Battle of Farn. Right, yeah. Because then the Polish king dies, and then, uh, and then they have a regency council, and after that they invite a Jagiellon the third to become the king of Poland as well as Lithuania, and Poland ends up on top. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. But before that, the kings of Poland, Lithuania are kind of, but not the same. They're related, but it's yeah. My my sources do tell me that there was a lot of disagreement about where the borders were at the beginning. So I think, uh, (laughs) so yeah. Which is by the way, by the way, you know what the kingdom, the the Commonwealth, by the way, for the most part, you know, you know what Schlachta is. Let Let's get into the Commonwealth just for a bit. I, I. it's, uh, I have about 40 minutes more in time. I, I doubt the listeners will, will bother about this. Let's get into a bit of a commonwealth, because I love the commonwealth. Um, Schlachta, you know the Schlachta, the lesser nobility, lesser Polish mm-hmm. nobility, right? They were all Belarusians. 90 fucking percent of them were Belarusians. Because modern-day Lithuania is where Lithuanians lived. All that other area which Lithuania controlled was inhabited by Ukrainians, Belarusians, all of these other nations. And there were just so much more Lithuanians. So at one point, when it became truly elective, the Belarusians had an immense impact. So it's all connected because they're like Slavic Slavic people. But But it's weird because Lithuanians are Baltic. Polish people are Slavic. They're different cultures, completely. And today, you know, in Latvia and Estonia here, we are kind of worried about the Russians. Because they're just next door to us, and they've been trying to do a lot of historically bad things to us. I don't hate the Russian people, but I have to say, Putin is a piece of shit. And I can say it openly, because I've gotten a bunch of death threats from his trolls anyway, so it's not going to change anything. But, in an interesting way, the Lithuanians hate the Poles right now. Hmm. Okay? It's weird. Because the Lithuanian capital, Vilnius, or Vilnius, when they first gained independence, the Poland refused to give them their capital. They got their capital back, their official center of their culture, only when the Soviets took over all of these lands and gave it to the Lithuanians again. Okay. They are... They are Lithuanians. Ethnic Lithuanians and Polish people are very, very different. It's just that Lithuania was mostly sort of run by Belarusians and people more closer to Polish people because they're Slavic and their languages are somewhat similar. And uh, in, in Russian, there's the saying "cherez jopo." It means through the ass. It's like when you do an overcomplicated, overcomplicated series of something, and it's like. Uh, 
when you turn square into a circle, you do it, and when you do it like really sloppily, or when you just kind of, kind of, you know, you have a Windows PC, and when you when you want to emulate emulate a Mac on it or whatever, okay, when you do something which is impossible, which is really really hard, and and when it's like done sloppy, you do job through the ass. It works. It might not work for a long time, but it fucking works. Okay, it'll do. It'll do. Okay, it's just it'll do. So that's Cherezhopo for you. Polish Lithuanian Commonwealth was Cherezhopo. It was like you know what? It, it, it's complex. It's insane. We have the electric. We have culture. The fuck it, it'll do. Okay, fine. We're just gonna duct tape it together. Fuck it. Okay. Mm. Oh man, that, that's pretty awesome. It's, oh. it's, it's crazy. But um, but we but we. Oh my god, I'm, 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 I'm sorry for ruining your show. My dude, our show. You gotta stop that shit, man. <laughs> You've been promoted. It's like we're like Polish Lithuanian. Uh, we we have two kings right now. Um, but um, what what I'll say is that we were known that the Polish and the Lithuanians were kind of bickering a little bit about um where the borders were, but what they both agreed on was that the Teutonic Knights should not have access to their borders. But this did not stop the Teutonic Knights from invading both Lithuanian and Polish territory. They didn't want to stop because remember their 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 source of wealth, the way they made their money was by crusading. So they can't stop the crusades, man. They that that would be like that would be like, you know, uh I don't know, Budweiser saying, you know, we're going to stop selling beer now. Where you know, you can't do that. Wait a minute. Glenn, what did you say? <laughs> Budweiser saying we're going to stop selling beer. But they're not okay. selling beer already. <laughs> okay, I, I, I invited that. Um, but I'll, I'll just say, like, it would be like, you, you, that would be, that's their business. Their business was crusading, and business until this time had been good. But this doesn't, so, you know, Lithuania becoming Christian was sort of a, an identity crisis. Cause now what the fuck do we do? Um, so they decided they were at war with the Polish Lithuanian state because fuck it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's the best. Of all reasons, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, they can't just say, okay, we're not a crusading order anymore. We're still going to be on the crusade because we, they're still holding this piece of paper from a Pope 200 years ago that said they could do whatever they wanted. Um, and I, I can't imagine yeah. I wish I wish I had a paper from the Pope from two hundred years ago. It's like it's like amazing, man. It's like like the Pope at this point, I mean, the Reformation is kind of from, wait a minute. Isn't this about the time when Jan Hus becomes active? Because I'm not really good at Bohemian history. You have to go to Travis for this one. But uh, isn't this the time when the Husite? It's around this happen? time that's starting to happen. Yeah. So Pope's getting into a bit of a pickle yeah. here, eh? Yeah, it's uh, you know, it's 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 just what do we do now? You know, the Teutonic Order is is, uh, you know, yeah, we the Pope's looks bad. The Teutonic Order is just going to keep doing its war, and I don't even understand what two hundred years of war looks like, man. That means on both sides, your great great grandfather was fighting your enemy i don't i mean i don't i don't even know what that must be like i don't have any type of you're overestimating uh, here glenn i'm sorry my <clears throat> oh, oh, oh my god i'm messing up your show <laughs> don't hate me uh 200 years actually can mean just your oh, gunfire well, i guess it could yeah 
seriously, because just think about it. Like my grandmother just died, and I'm gonna make a show about her, just particularly about her, because oh my fucking god, she was a doctor in the Soviet Union. She was born in the Free Latvia, entered the Soviet Union as an adult, survived. She outlasted the Soviet fucking Union and was a major doctor there. But listen to the point: she died when she was ninety mm. something. Okay, that's my grandmother. So that's not that long of a time because when people have their kids like late, like Kurt Vonnegut, for example, imagine this, you live to be 55 years old, then you have a kid. He has a kid, like you have a kid at 55, then your kid has also has a kid at 55. And then that kid lives to be like, I don't know, 70. And that's already almost 200. Yeah, I, that's, a, that's a good point. I guess I, I was considering the fact that if you're in constant warfare, that probably adjusts the average life expectancy. So I don't know. I mean, yeah, but yeah, I guess you could. You could have had just your grandfather. But I mean, just like... Life expectancy is for <laughs> pussies. Yeah, but um, yeah, but I mean, I guess it's just like if your whole life, all you've known is war with this one nation. That's I guess I don't really understand that in America, but I'm sure in Europe you could understand that. Um, it, it seems no, no, no. you're shocked, but it's like oh yeah, they were at war for 200 <laughs> yeah, years. Oh, yeah. we call yeah, that Tuesday. So, yeah. Um, but uh, so but the Poles and the Lithuanians are not together they realize they they you know they they're never going to survive as a as a nation state or whatever you want to call them as long as they have this military order raiding into their lands how are you gonna get to the battle of tannenberg battle of tannenberg <laughs> yes there's there's a really 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 good polish author who writes historical fiction and he wrote a novel henrik Sienkiewicz. he wrote a novel crusaders just about this period, which Glenn is going to explain to you in detail. He's going to do an amazing job. But that was one of the first historical novels I read. One of the first books I read as a kid. I read it, it was like five or something. Four or five, maybe. Something like that. It was amazing. It got me the history. Because, because how all it works out. The Battle of Tannenberg, which you are about to talk about, because I am not touching that one. Um, uh, that's those. That's one of the... Take that moments of uh, our all countries in Eastern Europe. Yeah, because you know what? It's like it's like it's like the month. It's like you know what? You have more money because we here pride ourselves. If you know what, we're we're poor. We're we're much poorer than the United States. Okay, but we are motherfucking tough bastards. Okay, we like that shit. It's like it's like your Marines. It sucks, but we like it the yeah. way it sucks. <laughs> And now and then, now and then, there are there comes those moments when it's like a giant when we pull out our giant middle finger, show it to your face, and beat the fuck out of people. Tannenberg is a major historical turning point and a moment of glory well, for yeah. Eastern Europe. By the way, Battle of Vienna. <laughs> We laugh at the puny Austrians here. We just laugh at those guys. Except the guy who led the garrison, of course. That, 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 that Graf once, that Graf was fucking amazing. Otherwise, it was like, oh, so you, Western Europe, uh, you want someone to save you, eh? Oh, so, so, so now you're looking at, at us because of uh, the cavalry and everything. So you need someone to save you. Oh, 
Well, that's nice. So this is why this is the reason. This is the attitude. Because you know, when you've been like put down as subhuman and illiterate and stupid, and like everyone's treating you like shit all the time by the Westerners, and then the the Polish king Jan Sobieski gets his fucking chance to be like the savior of Christendom mm-hmm. at that time. I'm not saying it really happened, but you know what? If you'd be put down and said that you're worse than the Westerners. And then the Westerners would turn to you for help. You would fucking take your time as well. <laughs> You'd get that loan from the Pope. You'd just gather all that. You'd just go slow. You'd laugh all your ass off. It was... He was not a douche. It was like his fuck you guy. Well, I, I... Really. I can't... can't no, no. That's the, the biggest... I'm, apolog- I'm apologetic you know for him here. Right? <laughs> <laughs> he, I'm saying, I was saying from the from the point of view of everybody else. Yeah, he was taking his time, but yeah, I understand what you're saying now. But hey, it was worth it because not only did he save the day, but he got all the loot that's still in the Museum of Krakow today. So, um, and they're not giving yeah. it back because uh, fuck you, <laughs> Western Europe. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, Battle of Tannenberg. Go to the Battle of Tannenberg. I want to. I want to hear an American speak about one of the greatest moments in the. Well, well, Eastern, that it's just Eastern. one of the biggest moments in medieval history. Period. It's one of the biggest battles of all in history. Really, um, it's one of those big apocalyptic battles that you like to imagine when you imagine the Middle Ages. Um, so to more to the point, um, on fourteenth of August, fourteen o nine, the Grand Master of the Teutonic Order. Um, Grandmaster uh, Yurik von Jungingen. Um, yeah, Yurik von Jung Jung von uh, von Yurik von Jungingen. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> he officially he officially declares war on Poland Lithuania. Like I said, they decided that they're just going to keep the war going because fuck it, we need money for no other reason. Remember, they are. An FL officially Christian state, but fuck it. This is just our job to do war on you, so we're going to keep doing war. Um, and um, Yagalo, um, he. Yagalayan. Yagalayan. He has a very. Uh, he. Um, he has given some words in the, in the Chronicles that are very prophetic. And he is said to have said, quote, Next year, we either conquer the crossed knights or we perish as a nation and as individuals. Um, so uh, he immediately... Because, you know, because, you know, they looked at the Prussians and yeah. they were like, oh. Yeah, they're going to, you know, just wipe us off the face of the earth. Um, so during this time, and we're told it's about October 1409 to about June 1410, where a kind of uneasy truce is uh, brokered between them and the Teutonic Knights, uh, Yagalayan um, uh, spends his time sending spies uh, to the Teutonic Knights. Um, uh, prepa- he prepares his military, you know, new weapons, swords, horses, armor built. And um, but the, remember, the Teutonic Knights are doing the same and they are calling in all their favors. Essentially, they are they're calling all their bros from France and England and Holland. And here is one of the ballsiest things I could I have ever I have ever uh, read in history, I guess you could say. Um, in the in the second week of June 1410, 11 days before this uh, uneasy truce was going to end. 
three Teutonic Knights are said to have arrived on the Polish border in full battle dress, which in 1410 would have included full plate armor. So if you're a fan of your war games, this is when the Teutonic Knights look their Teutonic Knightiest. Um, and um, their officers, you know, have, you know, their horned helmets. It was probably a pretty impressive display. Um, they um, arrive in full battle gear and uh, ask to speak to King Yagalayan. Um, and they ask him to extend this armistice for three weeks, the story goes. Yagalayan asks why. And the knights answered that they are waiting for the other nations in Europe who wish to participate in their finger quotes crusade to arrive to their battle lines and they would crusade against a, a Catholic, Catholic nation. nation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, cuz they said Catholic. They, they say God, they do not f- want to dishonor their friends by denying them the right to participate in this crusade. Um so how ballsy is that? They're saying, "Hey, give us 3 more weeks. We want more Knights to be able to get here in time for our battle. <laughs> also, the story. Oh, I'm sure is it's apocryphal, but I'm just saying that <laughs> to give you. Yeah, because uh, this this was sent yeah. as a letter, and the knights arrived, and uh, two right. Of them I'm d- I I I I assume most of these stories <laughs> because yeah. fuck it. I'm assuming most of these stories are crap, but just to give you a flavor of what this looked like, I mean. Yeah, because because the brave Teutonic Knights, you know, being supported by their richest <laughs> people on the planet Earth, fighting against these terrible, terrible, angry, evil Catholic yeah. people from Lithuania, Poland. Um, yeah, by by that time, in, in Baltic states, by the way, in the in Latvia, Lithuania, they're Livonian by the time, and they're just living happily, and there's this archbishopric of, 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 of Riga, and everything's just, you know... We're just basically sitting around, except some of nice, our own mercenary guys who are like, hey, um, we kind of uh, are the descendants of uh, Coronians. How about we go help Lithuanian guys? They're battle buddies, yo. <laughs> yeah, and here's my favorite part, if I could just make a personal aside. Um, in, in, uh, in May 1410, during the preparations, Yagalayan sent some of his own ambassadors to the city of Kiev, which is still under occupation by the Golden Horde, at, to ask for some help. And they send 1,500 Tartars. So the Poland-Lithuania did have some horse archers on their side. Um, so... I always thought, I, as a personal aside, I love that horse archers were at this battle as well, uh, which is which is kind of interesting because, uh, yeah, I, actually, the fun part is that when you look at the battle itself, remember it's Tannenberg, and I don't remember Tannenberg Grunwald. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. That, Grunwald yeah. means uh, yeah, the yeah, green I'm forest. Okay, so yeah. it's next to this village. The thing is, the battle happened in a place next to a forest for a damn good reason it happened on a plain it happened in a place of the lithuanian king's mm-hmm. choosing think about it oh yeah yeah of course well they could make a they could um make use of their light cavalry against these uh and, and those, those horse archers yes to yes. uh to pick off the heavily armored knights because if you do know if you've ever played if you've ever played the Balsic Crusade expansion of Medieval Total War 2, 
Um, you know that the knights are heavy but slow and are best picked off by your light cavalry and horse archers. Um, so there's a little aside there if you've ever played Medieval Total War 2 expansions. Oh, God. You know what I had the most? I wanted to play as Riga <laughs> yeah. in that game. <laughs> Fucking hell, man. It's tough. It, it's hard. Byzantium gets a chance, okay? Byzantium <laughs> gets a chance. No, Riga are rebels. Uh, Fuck yeah. you, guys. Yeah, Fuck yeah, you. yeah. But, um, but uh, so, so we're told that on the 13th of July, the battle, uh, the battle lines are starting to be drawn. Um, so, and the first act of the Polish-Lithuania is to reach the city of Dobrano. Da, da, de bra, da Brano, which is currently occupied by the Teutonic Orders and populated also by German citizens. Um, they are told to st- they, we are told they storm the city and no defending person survives. Everyone is killed. That was how strong their hatred was for the Teutonic Order at this time. This feeling that not only are they fighting an enemy, but now this is revenge, cold blooded revenge. Um, but you know what? It's kind of a, right now. It might look like a terrible thing, but when you think about it, uh, it's still terrible. Oh, uh, yep, <laughs> yeah. But um, but 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 all in all, but we're uh, and I'm sure and I'm say? yeah and I, um, genocide yep. and um. And we're told, I, I probably again apocryphal, but I love this imagery. If I was making a movie about this battle, I would include this scene. We're told that the fire and smoke is so great by the burning city of Dabrano that um, the Grand Master of, of the Teutonic Order can see the flames and the smoke, and he watches it silently while saying nothing. Um... So I love that. I love that image. It's very cinematic to me. But who knows if it's true? But it's a dude, dude, dude. Aha! <laughs> uh-huh. I can. S- <laughs> I will now use my special superpowers of philosophy to to, to analyze this one. Um, for one, when are the sources written which say you this quote? Um. Well, at later on, like they're Polish Lithuanian sources. Yes. When. <laughs> Yeah, I know, I don't know, but which century? Um, there, uh, I'm doing a lot of 19th century. Yeah, exactly, because this is the courage. You know what? This is the 19th century courage. Mm. Like I told you, being somber and like stoic when things go bad, when cannons yep. shoot at you, that's the 19th century courage. This is why it's so unbelievable. Because at that time, at that time, the courage would be like to just yell. Fuck them! Let's murder all of them, kill them, burn, whatever. Stoic peace became the definition of courage only after the invention of gunpowder and the cannons being brought into the main battle lines. It obviously is a retelling of a later historian by just presenting some sort of an description of the courage of the Teutonic mm-hmm. Order and their grandmaster. In real life, he most likely really shouted something really mean and was very angry about this. But if he would do that, that would mean he has lost his temper and lost his cool, which was seen as courage in the medieval era, but no longer seen as courage in the later periods. 
So they made him look courageous uh. this way. So obviously this should be fake because of how right. history and historical oh, sure. studies work. It's a meta. It's a meta. It's a meta thing, really. But uh, yeah, I feel like it's my job to pick at these things. Yeah, but I, just, I guess I just I just I guess I always look at these kind of stories is that they're not meant to be like a documentary of what happened. They're trying to give a feeling of what happened. I guess. Yeah, yeah I, I know. And in that case, it's yeah. actually really accurate because <laughs> yeah. you know what. The author of the story was trying to convey to the listeners that uh, that Grandmaster the Tonic Knights was yeah. really, really brave. And you know what? What actually happened wouldn't seem brave, but he was being brave at that right. time, right? So you can either choose to portray things accurately or you can choose to portray things how they really felt right. at that moment. It's the same, ex- ex- the same exegesis which I talked about as the medieval continuation of the Bible. It's just in a different way. So they're conveying the recognizable mm-hmm. emotions. They're putting the recognizable emotions, recognizable feelings of the 19th century into the real event to just show that this guy was sure. really brave. It's nothing bad. It's just that you have to go and analyze through all of this to get to the facts. Sure, sure. I'm... Because basically, from this we can learn that he didn't do this at all. He basically shouted something really offensive and was like really, really mean and angry. Because that would have been the courage mm-hmm. of that time. Oh, totally. Because the courage is what, what, what transfers around. The courage is what, what we carry oh, over. Oh, sure, sure. Um, so, but we are also told again that um, on, the, on 15th of July, 1410, um, it must have... Everybody must have felt what this battle meant because essentially whoever wins this battle is going to control Eastern Europe. Um, so, I mean, there had to have been a real weight to this, this battle knowing that you had to have known, right. That on some level you were a part of history. This wasn't some, you know, minor skirmish or border war. This was like a turning point in history. I get, I think you would have had to have known. Um, and, um, and we were told that, on the Polish, this is another great story. I have to share it just because I love it. Um, the the priest on the day of the battle finishes his blessing. He gives a mass, and Jagalayan speaks to his officers, and says, quote, "Brothers, we move this day to end the tyranny which has oppressed our lands. The Teutonic Order will come against us with the blessing of the Church and the cross of Christ upon their bosoms, but they also come clothed in lies." We ride forth with trust in our banner, and the deep love of Jesus Christ is our shield. To freedom, to victory. And here's my favorite part. Uh, one of his lieutenants asks him, when would the army be moving and when they would be moving into a battle position? And the king replied, we don't. <laughs> so... I love that. Just the idea that this is going to be essentially a free for all. This is a, this is not like an army. This is not the pomp and circumstance of battle. This is essentially a, a gang fight. This is a brawl to the death. Um, what he's expecting. Um, and he does have a large army at this time. He manages to put together uh, an army of 18,000 knights, 11,000 retainers, 4,000 foot and which would be added to 11,000 Lithuanian knights, um, 50, the 1,500 Tartars, about 6,000 Bohemians, we're told, Russians, uh, Moravians, and Moldavians. 
uh, coming to help them. But only few of them, very, very few of them, were actually the heavy cavalry of the day. We're told that the majority of the Lithuanian Polish footmen, the kind of the everyday rabble of the army, just had clubs and, and simple spears. Um, they're fighting... Bullshit! <laughs> I'm talking about the non-noble foot soldiers. What else would they have had? You tell me. Bullshit. You tell me. Swords. swords. They would have swords. had swords. War well, axes. axes. War axes, axes were the a- most common Well, axes thing I can understand. Axes are, really... are cheap to make like spears are, so I can understand that. Because uh, war axes were the most common tool. Of... Coronians used them, okay? If the Coronians are like the marines of this area. If the Coronians use them, fuck it, everyone uses them. Okay. Because they're the guys who beat up everyone. <laughs> they were just raiding. They were just the raiding guys, not the conquering well, guys. I can, I can so understand. Yeah, okay. I mean, any but uh, clubs were used. Right, right. But, I can, I can, I can understand but, axes like I can understand spears. You know, your village blacksmith can make an axe, sword. S- s- yeah. Yes, and swords, not yeah, good yeah, quality yeah. swords. But just think about this, okay? You have been into war for two fucking hundred years. This is your last moment of survival, like you said. This is the moment when you gather fucking everything right. you have. And you've been at war for a long time. You've been looting. You've been doing everything. Think about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Don't you think those guys would have had fucking good well, Yeah, I'm sure they've picked, off, they've picked off some dead soldiers, some good shit by now. Not just uh-huh. dead soldiers. Yeah. That's a total yeah. war situation, man, that we're talking about. Um, the term comes into play in later centuries, but, uh, but honestly, a modern situation shows that they were, they had chainmails and they had swords and they had axes. Sure, some clubs too, because why the fuck not? It's just convenient. Because actually using a club against an opponent in full plate mail is much more effective than using a sword against mm-hmm. such an opponent. Like a war hammer. You just smack his head and then you can give him a concussion. But they weren't just dumb peasants at this point. Well, no, I'm they sure they were, were badasses. I guess, I guess the... Really... No, they, they, were, they were trained, they were hardened, and they really, for this battle, they took out everything they've got. Okay, sure. Some people were in poor armor, but if you have this one fucking sword somewhere stuck down and you have this one sword of your fucking family, and it's rusty and shit, then for this battle, you would have taken it to the blacksmith, got it done, sharpened it, and you would have fucking wielded it. You know why? Because if you don't, you die. It's that simple. It's just too much of an important of a battle to think that all the descriptions, because all these stereotypes about the poor Eastern Europeans, they come from... The Catherine the Great's time and the 18th and 19th mm. century. Because that's when the split happened. That's where the term Eastern Europe comes from. Because before that, it was mostly Northern and Western Europe. But the really big thought that, you know, Eastern Europeans are subhuman in the very deepest sense of the word comes from that era where your sources come from. It's the cultural tradition. It's just written there because the people wouldn't believe otherwise. No. The Lithuanians were well-armed and well-prepared and well-trained. We were not dumb. We are not dumb. 
we don't go to battle unprepared and we don't win battles because it's a miracle we win battles because we train for them and we know right. our time. Uh, we're, yeah, we're, uh, we're, I'm sure they were, I guess this is sort of meant to convey that um, just uh, on, on a one-to-one scale of men, the average uh, German side foot soldier was better equipped than the average Lithuanian-Polish foot soldier, but in terms of... Com- <laughs> yeah, that is true. That is true. That is true. Yeah. I just, I'm just saying that it, it in no way was clubs against uh, swords, really. It, it's just impossible. Right, right. but I, I imagine that, that this, these stories are meant to convey that there was the technological inferiority, but in terms of the quality of the troops, I'm sure they were just as good an experience and... Um, and they're just their their combat nerve because what the Teutonic Knights liked to do more than anything else was to flex nuts. They really liked to whip their cock out before battle and fly huge flags. Um, they dressed uh, they dressed in white uh, with white um, kind of smocks with crosses ahead of them. Um, they liked to let their um, fancy armor glimmer in the sun and really kind of win the morale battle before the actual battle was engaged. And we're told that the king reveals his strategy around the beginning of the day, that he intends to let them wait. Remember, this is in July. It's quite hot. He's going to let them wait and become irritable in their heavy armors in the hot sun while they remain in the cool of the trees and the plains. Um, um, I love that one of these guys, there was Polish champions. Um, they didn't like the king's strategy. Um, they were, one of them was known as Black Zawiza. Um, um, uh, he's a, one of the formidable Polish champions that was, wanted to give strong, wanted to go out and essentially challenge, start a battle of challenging people to single combat, we're told. But the king, again, uh, advises patience that the enemy would become irritable. And, uh, by 830, this is true. So, as you can imagine, this um, the strategy of making the Teutonic Order wait does make them quite irritable and impatient. Remember, these are knights. They're used to going into battle, seeking individual glory. They're used to the grand, you know, elegant charge where they send you scattering with their just their pomp and circumstance. Um, and I love this story again. Um, at 8.30 in the morning, um, the Teutonic Order, the officers among them, the knights, in their heavy armor, are quite hot in becoming impatient and irritable. Uh, the Grand Master of the Teutonic Knights sends two of his champions to the Polish side. And we are told that when the two knights reach about 20 yards from the Polish army, one of them yells, quote, Lithuanian and Poles, dukes and kings, if you are afraid to come out and fight, our Grand Master sends you these additional weapons. And they throw their swords point down into the earth. And then he continues, Also, you cowardly ones, if you feel you require more room for your maneuvers, the Grand Master says that he will now withdraw our tr- troops one mile to aid you. And then the, the knight signals, and then the Teutons' lines move one mile back. Um... So uh, uh, they're engaging in a bit of, I guess you could say, uh, psychological warfare at this time. But Taha, psychological warfare <laughs> against uh, against our guys, really? <laughs> it would be like, yeah. Uh, so you're giving us two swords and you're retreating. Yep. 
But yeah, oh, Yagalayan okay. does respond like you are said, we are told. He says, quote, I accept both your swords and your choice of battleground, but the outcome of this day I will entrust to the will of God. At this, at this, the uh, the knights withdraw from the Teutonic side, and the battle lines draw. And what happens now is like, probably one of the biggest battles of all time. And it's really great, actually, isn't it? It's, it's like it's kind of weird that, it, that one of these huge, important battles is just a battle between two Catholic powers. One of which is crusading against another. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, yeah, they still consider themselves crusaders, um, and um, we're told that the the Teutons have one hundred cannon at this time, which would have been uh, state of the art military um, equipment at this time. Like uh, and like we've like we've discussed before, cannons at this time are not terribly accurate or terribly reliable, but they do have a certain morale element the loud sound yeah it's like having a dragon yeah. on your yeah, side it's, it's scarier more than it's an effective weapon the loud sounds scare horses the uh it's just unnerving to be standing there while you watch explosions happen um but the cannon is i don't know why it's <laughs> well i guess if they were coming at you like uh you would be a little unnerved they had they were more of a a mer- only they Americans. were more morale. They were like uh, your fire weapons in Warhammer 40k. They damage more morale than they do troops. Um, then the space marines can fucking yeah. <laughs> do because nobody cares. God and especially if you're fighting Tyranids who don't rely on morale. Um, yeah, yeah. Just like, oh, I have a card effects right there. Have a morale, man. God damn but, it. Uh, but yes, um, if you're fighting orcs, you do want to break their morale. Um, so, uh, so we're. If you're fighting orcs, you just want to break their everything because otherwise they'll get into close combat. And yeah, then, then you're yeah, then you're screwed. definitely screwed. You want to keep them scattered. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, dude, we just we we, we have to do uh, an LB Knights or just yeah. about Warhammer because otherwise we're just gonna pepper Warhammer references everywhere. Let's just get this out of our system yeah. at one point. Yeah. So, um, and as we were talking about earlier, the cannons are not very effective. Because we have on our side light cavalry, right? Um, the Tartars and the Lithuanian light cavalry are able to overrun the cannon pretty quickly and eliminate them. Also known as, oh, you shoot cannon? I uh, kind of, uh, they can evade the yeah. cannon shots, actually. So that's the important part. Because uh, cannons, and I'm going to the military strategy again. Cannons became really, really cool when people started to decide that, hey, we have gunpowder weapons now, and firing in volleys and standing in close lines is really, really great for firing in volleys. Then cannons become good. If you fire a cannon against a light cavalry charge, it's about the same as you firing your handgun into a bunch of fucking mosquitoes. Yeah, 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 it's all right. It it is, yeah. yeah. That's a great analogy, because the light light cavalry... um, uh, are able to overrun the cannon no problem and eliminating that 100 cannon advantage that the Teutons have. This also has the second um, uh, the second advantage of forcing the Teutons to commit. Oh, we're getting very much into battle strategy here. I know you like this, Kristop. So he this forces the Teutons make a, a mistake. They commit their heavy cavalry too soon, and in order to try to chase off the light horsemen 
Oh wow, we are chasing the light <laughs> horseman again. The... How could How that did nobody go wrong? ever learn the lesson? You do not fucking yeah, chase I mean, light horseman. <laughs> chase light cavalry. Yeah, exactly. What the fuck, people? Seriously. Mm-hmm. If you face light cavalry, you deploy your ranged troops against them and pepper them with whatever there, missiles you I was have about in to say, form. you send skirmishers after light cavalry, Just... not heavy cavalry. Um. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's so obvious. They just didn't treat. They didn't listen no. to lesser Bonaparte's man. They didn't man, learn if their I history. went back to the time, I would have had no problem with the Mongols. I would be like, "Do not chase the light cavalry. Send our skirmishers and break up their formations." Um, so, um, and then, um, so now, so what we're talking about? So you know, they chased them. We're told the heavy cavalry, um, you know, engages in a chaotic retreat, basically, um, with these light horses. Because they're fleeing, and obviously they're leading off these gullible heavy cavalry that are going to run them down. Um, but this also has, it looks like a win at the first, which is why you don't chase. Dude, but, but I just, I just, just want to imagine this one at the moment. See, you're, you're a knight, okay? Just, just let, let's, go into, let's go into imaginary territory. You're a knight, okay? You're, you're sitting in your armored horse. You're wearing plate mail. You're just really heavily armored. Your horse, oh, okay, your horse is trained to carry you, but you know your basic speed, okay? How in the bloody hell can you ever decide that you can chase down a light <laughs> cavalry? Uh-huh. Just, 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 it, it, it runs against all fucking logics. Because, mm-hmm. because, just how? Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know. Do you have an explanation? Because... I see no logics, even the basic soldier side. I mean, it's obvious that you are heavier on this horse, which is trained not for speed, but for yeah, for and, and for impact charges, and, like to you know run down foot soldiers. Yeah. Not, yeah. but 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 you're not for for yeah. running around, and, and you're you're trying to chase down a horse, <laughs> on which sits quite possibly a smaller, lighter man than you. With less armor and the horse is trained for <laughs> yeah. speed. Yeah, yeah. It Why? It's it's not even it's not even historical knowledge by this point. It's just blatant yeah. stupidity. Yeah, definitely. So this is starting to look bad, as you might under that you might think um, for the grandmaster who is uh, so. Um, but you know, he's getting overconfident. Of course, um, you know the grandmaster is said said to have said, you know. Um, the Tartars proved craven. Um, let's give them a first battle, essentially. Um, uh, because, you know, they saw they see tactical retreat not as a strategy, but as cowardice. But it did have the effect of luring off the heavy cavalry and tiring them out before they really had a chance to engage in the important battle. Um, at this point, the Grand Master does see that the Lithuanian army is less numerous than the Polish army. Less well-armed. You know, the Polish have more heavy cavalry and things like that. So he engages, he decides he's going to crush the Lithuanians once and for all and kind of, you know, take whatever forces he has. And then again, he is fucked over because the Lithuanians do retreat when they see a large German charge coming at them. But where do they retreat, Chris? Into the woods. <laughs> In the woods. <laughs> So, d- uh, it's, 
it's it's not like it's it's not like it's uh, difficult yeah. to understand where yeah. they would retreat because you know Tannenberg Tannenberg Grunwald mm, yeah forest so mm. so so what looks Jeez. like another retreat in the eyes of the Teutons is again they're retreating into the goddamn woods where they're going to fight you Ewok style now right and then um. Because that's what we've been doing for 200 years. Right. So, so not only do, you know, they lead them into a wild, the forces that the Grand Master sends against the Lithuanian army, the Lithuanians essentially lead them into a wild goose chase into the woods where they become lost and, you know, disoriented. And then um, we're told that, um, um, you know, they, they just lead them into a wild goose chase into the woods. Um some are some are some are lost in this, but um, these troops again are out of the battle, and some of them are outflanked by another. Uh, we're told um, a a large contingency of Polish cavalry that comes out of the woods too at that time and engages them from the rear. So why are they they are getting Dutch doored here while they're running into the woods chasing after the Lithuanian army to go into a certain doom? They're getting harried from the rear by Polish cavalry uh, by this tactical withdrawal. So. And you, and and you know what? When you, when you speak about Polish cavalry, um, it's Polish. God damn, <laughs> guys. Yeah, yeah, we're tough. So uh, it's, it's, this is the beginning of the winged yeah. hussars. You know, this is they're not winged hussars yet, but they're kind yeah. of getting there. And when you when you hear, you know, what, every, every nation has something to be proud of. Like English have their Welsh archers, right? The French have their Napoleonic armies. The Dutch have their digging in and suicidal defenses. The Germans have their Blitzkrieg. The Russians have their, oh, we just don't give a shit about numbers thing. The Polish have their fucking cavalry, mm-hmm. guys. It's like their yeah, special unit. It really is. They, if you play uh, Medieval Total War again, the, the Polish do have the best cavalry. Um, and, <laughs> and they have awesome light cavalry. Um <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Okay, I am. I'm. I'm. I'm 26. I'm still allowed to be in there. I'm 35, um. So I don't know what my excuse is. Um. Ha, pops! I'm gonna dance <laughs> in your grave. <laughs> but. Oh no no. Glenn. Oh, well, you're thanks. pretty cool. I appreciate man. that. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But I'm sorry. I mean, but this is the type. This is this is the type of fighting that goes on for a couple of days, um. And it is, but even even while we're talking about these, you know, it looks like the Poles and Lithuanians are have you know handing the the Teutons their asses to them. There are heavy losses on both sides. I, I know because you know you, you can easily be killed while you're eating. Yeah. Your turn. <laughs> Something like that, yes. Um, but we are told that eventually, on the next day of fighting, um, the slaughter is happening. But while we are told that we're told that there is a moment when uh, Yagalayan is his view obscured by the fog of war, can hear singing in the distance. And for a moment, he is he is convinced that the battle is lost. And these are the Teutons singing. He gains a slightly better view of the battlefield and notices that it's Poles and Lithuanian soldiers singing. Um. The Grand Master by this time has been killed in the battle. Um, 
<laughs> Fuck that guy. I'm sorry. Eastern um, European pride. This, um, when many many do see that the Grand Master is killed and they lose their will to fight and run away, essentially. Um, As Western <laughs> Europeans do. But yes. Um, but um, with we're told with the, only a half an hour of daylight remaining. Um, their forces are finally overrun, the Teutonic forces. Um, armies of Poles and Lithuanians, the army of the Poles and Lithuanians overrun the Teuton base. Um, they did not expect that they would reach their base that soon and ran away, leaving almost everything behind. Um, some try to escape into the woods. But they, of course, get lost because they don't know what they're doing <laughs> in the woods. And, you know, running away in the woods against from the people who have been fighting <laughs> you from the woods for 200 mm-hmm. years. Great job, Teutonic yes. Knights. That's one for And remember you. I talked about Malborg, that base that they constructed to from which they launched this attack. We're told that of that original oh, yeah. army. Remember I told you how large that fucking army was of the Teuton Knights? Oh, yeah, that was huge. Only 1,400 make it back alive Um, to Malborg from the battle. Meanwhile, meanwhile, guess who's partying? Um, they They left their base so quickly, we're told, the Teutonic Knights, that they leave behind all of their casks of wine. So... So now, <laughs> and you know what? Wine is kind of <laughs> shitty in these parts. But those guys must have had, they had good, the good stuff, shit. like from yes. Italy. They had the good uh-huh. shit, and um, that's kind of a bad part of our uh, Baltic nation thing. But uh, holy crap, that's the good wine, man! <laughs> yep, yep. Because, um, but we are told that Yagalayan orders the wine to be poured on the ground. Because he did not want his men to get drunk, because the next day he wanted them to parade about and not be hungover, and return with a uh, victorious. Um, um, I'm sure um, plenty of people drink the wine. <laughs> um, I will now. I will now say this bullshit, but, Shout, but yeah. soft bullshit, uh. not not hard bullshit, not not yelling bullshit. Um, he ordered mm. that. I'm sure plenty. Yeah, that's the precise. The precise thing is that Yagalion ordered that to be done. <laughs> yeah. I will no lo- I will not say specific details, but he just. <clears throat> the fact is that he ordered the wine. <laughs> yes. People, we we are not told whether or not those orders were enforced, um, but um, I'm sure plenty of people wanted to party all night. Um, we're to- we're told that so many thousands of bodies. Um, that and blood covered the la- the landscape. Um, that well, the story goes is that you could no longer see the ground of the battlefield. There was so much blood and body, um, littering the landscape. Um, and uh, wherever you stepped, you either stepped in blood or on a person. Um, but um. But um, and, it, and we are also told that later some prisoners are captured and taken to identify some of the Teutonic bodies, and the Grand Master's body was eventually found on the battlefield, and Yagalion is said to have looked at him and said, quote, 
So this is the man who wanted to conquer us and make us slaves of his order. Let his corpse be covered with purple and buried with honor. So I don't know if that is true or not, but um, he wants to be... That is actually one of the very most terrible offenses that you can oh, get really? in these parts. Oh, really? Okay. Because uh, if you kind of desecrate the body or something, then you're uh-huh. angry at the person. The fact that he says, let his body be covered in purple and that he will be like buried that way, it denotes that he's not even worthy of, of anger. It denotes that his title is all he has. It denotes that this guy, yeah, just purple is the traditional color of uh, clowns and jesters. Oh, okay. Serbia, by the way, also it just it's it's a royal color as well. But in this sense, it's like Yagalain is showing that he's being noble, but it's a mocking nobility. Uh. He would have just, in normal cases, if you beat your op- opponent, you just put him in the normal grave and did things. You didn't do any special oh, okay. thing for them. That's the average. If you do something special for him, it just shows that it's not out of respect. It's just that you're not a warrior. You don't deserve a warrior's grave. Oh. You're not even a fucking warrior. You're, you're just a, I don't know. <laughs> you're some sort of, I don't know, better enough suck my dick somewhere mm-hmm. on the planet. You're just a pretentious asshole. So we're just going to bury you like a pretentious asshole. Oh, that okay. Not. So that's much more badass than I was originally thinking. Um, I love that. I love, but the Teutons are, of course, um, are, of course, never to return to any type of real power. Um, they are thoroughly thoroughly defeated and i love that how the christian crusaders tried to save face um we are told that a priest named anton grabenir um who was not at the uh, at the battle sends a report to all the capitals of europe telling them that the teutonic knights were only defeated because the pagan lithuanians brought 100,000 tartars to the to the to the battle um, and of course, this is why we lost. But remember, they only had fifteen hundred. Um, also, remember the fact that uh, before that they were fighting the Tartars all the goddamn time, <laughs> and they're ca- no. Catholic. And you know what? Yeah, but um, I'm, I'm just gonna give, give one single question to this bishop: How does it feel to be beaten by Eastern European fighters? <laughs> Yeah. Wink, wink. <laughs> yep. But from some of the from this, um, the Teutonic Order had no had no uh, recourse but to sign a peace treaty, and the Pope was even so shocked that he kind of is just like he starts to like um, he's kind of like uh, well, hey guys, that w- uh, that wasn't me. That was some other Pope that gave them that that mandate. Um, that wasn't me. I was <laughs> those. The, those, yeah, those, those are different posts, posts man. man. That wasn't me. He's like, you know, pulling at his collar, going, yee, yee, I look pretty bad now. Um, hey, that wasn't me. That was my other pope. That was the last guy that did it. Um, he starts to kind of like, um, the Teutonic Order becomes defunded. Essentially, um, the Pope is trying to save face now. Um, um, in orders that the Teutonic Order pay reparations to the Poles. Um, 
and um, that their, all their prisoners would be freed. Sort of, a, I guess you could say, a face-saving move to try to... St- the Teutonic Order essentially gets swept under the rug. And we try to... Yeah, but it's kind of it's kind of interesting because in the future, as we can see from the history, Poland Lithuania has this very, very, very close relationship yeah. with the Pope. So, how did that even came to came to, came to be? I, I don't know. But, but yeah, at this point, the Pope is like, oh, uh, the Poles. Uh, what Poles? They're nice. Pe- they're nice people. Uh, we don't know of any Poles. Oh, yeah. look, Saracens. Uh, <laughs> yeah, 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 just hey, look at that. There's there's Ottomans that we have to pay pay attention to now. Um, let's forget all about this um, Baltic Crusade, guys. Let's, let's can we just forget about this? Um, essentially, is what happens. The Teutonic Order. Yeah, it's yeah. just like it never it's happened. Cool. It's just it's cool, cool, man. We're, We're cool, friends. right? We're yeah. cool. We're cool. Um, the 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 crusading northern crusades of the Baltics are sort of never discussed again. It's everyone just sort of acts like it never happens. And with the reparations that the Teutonic Order is made to pay, they are never able to regain their financial power again. They sort of become an honorary group. They sort of exist, sort of, for a while longer. But it's kind of like the VFW hall or what we call like lodges here, where it's just kind of like, it's, it's a, it's a, okay. mil- yeah. But, but you want to wrap this up right now, well, don't you? I'm heading there. I'm heading I, there. I, I kind of, we spoke about Poland, Slovenia. I want to, I want to talk about what happened in the Baltics part, like Latvia sure. and Estonia a bit. Basically what happens is a bit later after this, the Teutonic order in the lands of Prussia, and the Königsberg, they're broken down, as you said, okay? But there's the Livonian order, which stays in power for a while. Do you, yeah, are yes, you with me yes. here, Glenn? Okay, so um, the problem is that um, the Livonian order is still there. But they get into a lot of troubles because they were really kind of dependent on the Teutonic order. Because, obviously, they're kind of, they're getting the finances from that way. Okay, so Livonian order happens. But the Livonian order in the Estonia and Latvia ends in 1557, in the September. And at that point, uh, that point, Poland-Lithuania grabs a part of Latvia and um, and it, the, and you have these like Poland Lithuania basically grabs a bunch of Latvian territory. Estonia gets ruled over by more or less Sweden sometimes slash uh, Russia because it's it just a messed up thing. But essentially what happens with Livonian order here is that even for the Grozny or even for the Terrible, which is a terrible name to name him. Grozny literally means the Storm One, okay? So when Muscovy ascends and tries to conquer territories, they decide that, hey, Livonian order, uh, yeah, they, they suck. They suck and they're weak and we're just going to take their lands. The problem is the Estonian part by this point has been sold to the Denmark. And it's only the Latvian part that's remaining here, essentially. So... The Russians attack the Latvian part. Latvians kind of fight back the Livonian order part. They fight back. It's not an epic battle. They sort of beat them in a single battle. It doesn't win them the war. But 
the important part is that all of this war with the voting order which has sold part which has sold parts of Estonia to Denmark and are now fighting against Russians and they won a single battle but they kind of are gonna lose the war because of Russian and everything now what do you think they do what do they, what do, they do they surrender to oh. Poland Lithuania <laughs> They sold parts of themselves to Denmark, and they are at war with Russia. They surrender to Poland, Lithuania. Because. You could do that back then, I suppose. Uh, Poland, Lithuania gets involved in the war, and the Russians get pushed out a bit from this area. So uh, the last order, the last master, master of the order is Gotthard Kettler, and he becomes the first... I say Duke of the Kronian Duchy, the Kurland Duchy. And there's Kurland Duchy and there's the Across Daugava Duchy. I don't know. It's called Pardaugava. It's a Pardaugav means the place across Daugava. So that the Pardaugava Herzogist, the Duchy of Across the Daugava, is under direct control. But Gotthard Kettler, the last master of uh, the Livonian order, gets to become some sort of a vassal duke. When you think about vassal, you don't think of Cedric Kings, you think about. It's kind of an... Well, they pay money to Poland-Lithuania. And they'll stay independent until Russia finally gets them when they beat Poland-Lithuania. But that's the final end of the Livonian order there. Because... Oh, yeah, then, then Denmark lost their their things to Sweden because Sweden decided that, hey, 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 we don't like this Kalmar Union that much. Kalmar Union is terrible. But... And this later caused some troubles be- between the Livoni- between Sweden and Poland, Lithuania, and Russia over there. There was the Livonian War, there was the Winter War, and all these things. But yeah, the last master of the Livonian Order, the last remnant of all these Crusading Knights, Gotthard Kettler, became the first Duke of Duchy of Kurland, which was a vassal state of the Poland, Lithuania, and other parts of Latvia were controlled by Poland, Lithuania directly. Oh, wow. Yeah. So... So, 1557 is when all of this finally ends. Wow. Yeah, that's, uh, that's kind of like, uh, yeah, that's, wow, it's, it's, it wasn't officially over for another 150 years or so, but I guess, like you were saying, uh, 100 years isn't such a long time. And they were really broken by that point, so they didn't really matter anymore. Uh, Poland, Lithuania would go on to be one of the most powerful uh, nation states of the early modern era, and until the until democracy <laughs> until, screwed them over. until that, yeah, um, and a little thing called World War One eventually happens. But um, but oh, it's, it's <laughs> <a> <laughs> really. yeah, yeah. But um, it becomes a part part. But that is the Northern Crusades, and man, that was an epic. I think this is our longest Carlin yet. Oh, just because I'm bothered. That's, <laughs> that's what the Carlin is all about, man. You, we were true to the spirit of the Carlin. But I fucking wanted people to hear the story of well, my people. I'm glad that's why. Hey, I'm glad that's I did why, this. This is why Done. I wanted your first Carlin to be this, man. We're getting into like your backstory. We're getting into your superhero origin story. <laughs> oh well, everybody knows that the best superhero on the planet Earth is Doctor oh, Von yeah. Doom. <laughs> yes. From uh, from a, a, a fictional uh, Baltic nation, but a Baltic nation nonetheless. Um, I mean, no, but, yeah. I mean, Latveria. Yeah, I, I guess where no, they got yes, that from. Yes. 
Hmm. Yes. But um, well, man, that is that is the Carlin on the uh, the, the Baltic Crusade. And uh, how are you liking these? Let us know at the Lesser Bonaparte at Gmail dot com on Facebook. We don't need to do all the same, uh, uh, but uh, let us know how we're doing. Uh, let Kristaps know how much he ruined this episode and all future episodes. Co- <laughs> oh yeah, I'll, I'll, for for that, by the way, you can just uh, I I don't know, Glenn, uh, I I think they can just send me emails too to I don't know the Eastern Border at Gmail dot com as well. You you don't even need to listen to my show. My show is about Soviet Union, which might be boring for you guys. It, it's I'm kind of serious, but send me emails too because I want to know. Because oh, I suck at this. This is awesome. Okay? This is one of my favorite ones yet. Uh, this is this is a cool topic that doesn't get a whole lot of play in mainstream history. So I'm glad we did it. Um, there's no, yeah, you don't learn about this one in America at all. You just hear about the Crusades or something that happened in the Middle East. Um, but, uh, and, um, I mean, but, but, but wait a minute, wait a minute. When you think about this, does that mean that we over here have much more in common with the Arabs rather than the Western Europeans? Probably, I would say so. You were both, uh, attacked for, uh, specious reasons. And we're and we're, uh, wait and we're the guys who can yell white power without there you repercussions. Go. Uh, that's uh, <laughs> it's just what what. <laughs> but uh, I don't even. Okay, we are not. <clears throat> disclaimer: Lesser Bonaparte's and or the Eastern Border and or Christoph Andres Sonser Glenn Gibbs. Are, we are not <sighs> racist like at all. If you have listened to the show so far, you should have noticed by this point. Okay. Yeah, we're 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 nothing if not yeah. But I mean. Wow, that was that episode. So we'll uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll uh, go ahead and throw this one to you guys. Let us know how we're doing. We'll be back next month with your Carla. Step onto the legendary clay courts of Roland Garros, where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May twentieth. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. Hello, this is Danny Pellegrino, host of the Everything Iconic podcast, and I'm here to tell you all about Splash Refresher, because hydration is mandatory, but boring is not. Now, I love my water, but if I don't spice it up, I'm not going to finish what I took out of the fridge. That's why I love my Splash Refresher, which is flavorful, delicious, bright, hydrating, and zero calories. The wild berry flavor is my fave. No, wait. Is the pineapple mango flavor my fave? You know what? All five craveable Splash Refresher flavors are my fave because they're so delicious. So get hydrated and enjoy it with Splash Refresher. Thank you very much again for supporting us at the $10 a month level. We hope to bring you this excellent content to listeners like you. And until then, uh, we are the Lesser Bonapartes. I'm Glenn, and with me as always is Kristaps. And we'll see you next time.